and welcome to WCW vs. NWO podcast, the podcast that analyzes, dissects, and declares war in one of the most important eras of professional wrestling history. I am Dave, and this episode we will be breaking down Halloween Havoc 1997, the forever spooky pay-per-view. Of course, I couldn't do this by myself. Every good Attitude Era wrestler needs a stable. I got mine. First, from Dublin, Ireland, Fergus Looney, how are you doing? I'm good, I'm good. I've got my lovely tasseled studded snap into its slim jim jacket on i'm ready to go and be as sponsored as possible for this show hashtag sponsored <laughs> yeah <laughs> and of course from chicago illinois connor o'donnell how you doing connor hey yo dave i'm, I'm doing good although I'm, I'm a little disappointed that we don't have any monster trucks we don't have any dungeon of the dooms with the yete mm-hmm. but if, if i'm this disappointed because those things are not in your pay-per-view. Oh, this is going to be rough. But there's some really good and there's some really bad. Really so. bad. <laughs> I'm going to have to open my beer at Daisy Cutter, which is a... That's nice. a hashtag sponsored. Yeah. Yeah, it's, yeah, if we can get a sponsor from that. Also, it kind of sounds like a finishing move. Daisy Cutter. That <laughs> definitely is, I think, as well. <laughs> is it? I think so, yeah. I, I want to say it's somebody's finisher. <laughs> mm, half acre, get on that. Sue them. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it feels like I'm saying this every week, but the Nitros are getting more and more important, more muddled, and more is happening on them than maybe the pay-per-views. So I'm going to throw it to Connor for the Nitro recap. New, 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 Nitro recap. We are live, chronicling the past month of WCW Monday Nitro. In our number one of this podcast, it's the return of WCW. So after the NWO ran wild on the company in the previous month, WCW, they've just had enough. Winning pointless matches wasn't dismantling the NWO for some reason. Hmm, I wonder why. WCW, they've resorted to hurting NWO members in the best way possible in WCW. And that's, of course, dressing up as Sting. Did WCW and NWO, did they put like out a call for fake stings? Like, how do you how do you guys suppose this works? Uh, is it just like a discount on, on the masks? I think Sting did it. I think it's his family. He's getting getting nice uh, paychecks for everyone he knows. Maybe it's just like people from his gym. And they're like, mm. man, I, re- I need to pay my fees somehow. And he's like, you know, hanging out in the rafters is a lot of effort, guys. So, you know, maybe if you guys could show up once or twice, it'll, it'll right. help me out. I mean, he does have a lot of time on his hands, so I guess. I, I, I was just thinking, like, maybe he's like, kind of like Shredder and this is like his foot clan or something. Oh, <laughs> spoilers, you've kind, you've kind of described how uh, Disco claims he got his job back. He just bumped into the sting out of gym, so maybe you're onto something. Man, I'm not happy with Steve Borden now. <laughs> <laughs> More on that later for sure. Uh, WCW, though, they managed to win an important match this month in the middle of an episode of Nitro. The Steiners <laughs> have finally won the tag team titles with Larry Sabisco counting the one, two, three after referee Charles Robinson was taken out by Scott Hall. So it's kind of a weird finish, but in defense of WCW, though, we, we mentioned this on the previous episode. Kevin Nash, he's out with knee surgery. So six was swapped in, even though with his nagging neck injury, that would eventually get him fired. Piper claimed it's legal for Six to wrestle in the match because he's just in the wolf pack. What, whatever. We, we just need to get through this match somehow. <laughs> it's an anticlimactic end to this never-ending feud that we've been covering for so long, it seems. And the signers, not on this pay-per-view. Kind of, kind of a weird decision, but thoughts on the tag team division as a whole and how this went down? You just gave so many caveats 
to mm-hmm. WCW finally getting one over the NWO. <laughs> I don't think it really mattered, did it? <laughs> it was such it was such a letdown, Augusto. Like, because it's the kind of thing the crowd's like, does this hold up? Because we've seen them we've seen them take the titles away from them so many times, and Piper doesn't he doesn't tell the audience that he is a legit referee until after the the finish. Mm. So like the the pop for the finish was like, yes, I hope. I'm sure some <laughs> bullshit's gonna happen. I don't know. So the moment was kind of it was it was definitely wasn't as big as it should have been. I'm never the biggest fan of heels he, uh, faces healing it up, and I know it's a bit of odd. Oh, I get a taste of their own medicine, or we one up them, or whatever. But I, I've always liked that when a face is in this situation, they just overcome the odds. They just Hulk out of it, you know what I mean? Or they just beat so many people up. It's eventually win. It's like when Austin beats up the whole McMahon regime and then counts the, the it gets the unconscious ref, which I think is Shane. And makes him count three, and that's how you make a face look good. And they don't. This is like the stars of your tag team division, and they don't look good anymore. Larry Zabisco does, and we'll talk a lot about that later. He's not <laughs> the biggest face in the company after a couple months. It's odd. I mean, yeah, Larry. It, Larry is entertaining. He is great. And going back, I wasn't expecting to enjoy Larry Zabisco's work really. And here, here we are. It's a coherent storyline. Like maybe it's not right. welcome in the Steiner vein of things, but it is an actual coherent storyline that follows through a couple different pay-per-views, and that doesn't always happen. We're going to talk in this about how half the storylines have kind of been a muddle. I mean, they're realistically about, what, four or five months late on the tag title change anyway, so... Mm. Yeah. If it's going to happen, it's going to happen. At least they've done it. They have so many options now for where to go. Well, you you would think so. It's kind of just awkward timing, too, just just in general for the division, because... The natural rivals for the Steiners was Harlem Heat, but the problem with that is Stevie Ray, he's also injured. And yeah. the faces, they're kind of their run is basically kind of over. So gone. Yeah. you yeah. don't really have any big tank teams anymore. So we're we the Steiners are just kind of stuck, like waiting for Nash to get better. And you you can never rely on that knee, as we all know. Yeah. yeah con- <laughs> considering where we were when we started the cast with tie teams, and we talked about such a rich division of guy tie teams, whether we liked them or not, would go down in history as all time greats. Like, I'm, I'm not a fan of the public enemy, but like, yeah, very- I was going to say, I definitely did not mention them on purpose. <laughs> yeah, but I'm not a fan of them, but they're fan favorites, and there's a lot of moments in wrestling you can track back to the public enemy, and they're not around. The nasties had a had a problem with um with Nash, wasn't it? No, Hall. But they're still, you know, all-time great tag team, very known, big draws, and they're not in the company. Steiners have run their course, and they have two unfortunate injuries, and all of a sudden you're three tag team, tag team divisions in shreds. You haven't pushed anyone else because you put everyone on the shelf for an NWO rivalry, and we've said this multiple times in the cast, the NWO kind of put talented guys on the shelf because of how big their momentum was. Yeah, there's not really much. Like, I... I I don't really remember what's happening going forward. That's why I'm enjoying rewatching this stuff. But who do they have that's been on recently? Like Canyon and, I mean, Mortis uh, and Wrath or... That's about God, it, yeah. You got Gla- Glacier and the Cat, yeah. One <laughs> of the shit B-team NBO. So like Bagwell and... Anyone else. Conan? Bagwell and anyone else. <laughs> it's, it's not good. It's definitely so, not good. Well, the other team that springs to mind, but they're not technically a team or the Giants... <laughs> sorry, sorry. I <laughs> uh, would be like Lex and the Giant, Giants. But like they're definitely faces and so are the Steiners. The Steiners are still getting big pops or they were from the last pay-per-view we watched. So yeah, you've kind of booked your you need heels and all your heels are gone. 
injured and you haven't built up any others because anyone outside the NWO isn't really giving that heel heat at the moment. It'll be awkward to figure out. It, it's just we'll we'll talk about more about the tag team division because it's just going to go further and further and just a non-existent disrepair. Yeah, disrepair because it does not look good going forward for the tag team division. Uh, little, little I do know, alert. I do know one tag team to pop up, and I want to mention them here because they're obviously the solution to everyone's troubles, and that's uh, <laughs> Disco Inferno and Alex Wright end up being a tag team down the road. And if that if that's not desperation for your tag team division, I'm not sure I'm not sure what is. Yeah, with with, uh, with that in mind, we'll, we're we're going to move on to something <laughs> yeah, much better here. Uh, <laughs> we're going to move on to a a new reoccurring segment here on the Nitro recap. It is the Goldberg undefeated streak. So, this is the run in WCW I am most excited to look back at. I only got to catch the end of the streak when I was uh, watching WCW week to week. And I'm just like so excited to see how the first like couple months play out. And it was really cool just to see his first few matches too. So Bill Goldberg, he debuts like as an unknown talent, basically a jobber, no entrance the first week. Actually, it might have been the first two weeks, no music, anything. And just commentary knows nothing about this mystery talent. Even Larry Sabisco, he demands Mike Tanay should be fired for not having a full report on this new talent. It's actually really entertaining stuff. Yeah, <laughs> we're, we're going to talk about uh, Goldberg's uh, lack of res- wrestling ability. And I don't know. I, I thought his first couple matches were not as bad as I thought they would be. Obviously, he's still very green. It, it kind of surprised me that the, the first f- few matches were passable and they were more than 90 seconds. <laughs> Who's the first match? That's what's the trivia. It should be Hugh Morris. That's yeah. for a Nitro match. Sure. He has some. I'll mention in, in a little bit that he actually has some dark matches which I can look okay. up if you want me to. But Hugh Morris is the first televised match. Yes. Sure. So technically, yeah, his first dark match was against Buddy Lee Parker, but I guess we'll not count that as a real match. I I, I don't know. Maybe I will as 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 the streak continues. But uh, Hugh Morris was his first uh, Nitro match, so that that's kind of like what we'll we'll say it is. Um, Hugh Mar- of all the people. Yeah. Ugh. I don't know how I feel about that. <laughs> <laughs> So eventually, week to week, uh, more information is shared on his like football background, and the streak number increases, as as we say. I tell it up the number, though, including those dark matches and Saturday night shows, Nitro matches. Goldberg is 9-0 in his young wrestling career, and we'll continue to follow along as the streak eventually increases to just obscene numbers in the hundreds. I don't think thousands it gets I, to that. I love the hundreds. Like anyone with basic maths can count that he hasn't won that many matches. There hasn't been that many days in his run, but he has that many wins. You don't know. He could be challenging people in the supermarket. Like you know, <laughs> he could be doing just the Hogan thing, hammering people in the in aisle three. And you know, Hogan reckons he discovered time travel. He just doesn't know how time zones work. He's like, oh yeah, brother, I would fly to Japan, and that means I do two matches in one day. I'm like, that's not, oh Hogan, that's not yeah. how time works. <laughs> that's not, that's not how time works, brother. But yeah, I I really like how he's booked, and they book him very strong from the start. He has a fantastic look, and listen, I don't think he's as bad as wrestling as people make him out to be. He's definitely green. But we're definitely going to cover at some stage in the podcast. The William Regal match is one people really like crucify him on. Like, hey, look, he's he can't wrestle. William tries to bring him for a five minute match. He can't even do that. But that's his first time ever wrestling with someone like Regal, and it's a very different style. And he, he's never had to do grappling. And the alternative is leave him in the power plant for a year 
And I don't know if that's going to help. There's a lot of evidence that the power plant didn't really train people that well, that they just blew them the, the F out. They just tried to cardio the crap out of these guys. And I'm not sure, I'm not convinced the trainers are there at this moment that uh, would make Goldberg that much better if you left him behind for a year, you know? Yeah, th- this is a great case of just analyzing WCW of how they develop stars. Because mm. if you compare this to something the WWF, like Kurt Angle is coming in around this time, but they have him in developmental for like a year or something like that. WCW, they just go the complete opposite way with this. Like, ah, just put him on national TV right away. Yeah. You know? He he needs some time in the developmentals in front of smaller crowds. They just put him out there. Obviously, he's going to be a big star. I think they know that. Yeah. Because, I mean, the streak thing is, is evident right away. Even Goldberg puts up, he, he says that's one in this first match. I don't know if they know what they have yet and how they're going to book them because some of the matches were like three or four minutes, but then... Some of the other matches were the the 30, 90 second matches, which people seem to love those kind of matches a little bit more. So I think that's maybe why they gravitate towards the Goldberg squash really quick. Yeah, that's another thing. Like he never gets a chance to develop because people love this angle, right? It's not only they're protecting him. They are in a sense. But if this is over, why stop doing it? If people are getting so behind this guy and his look, you know, it's a pretty stupid thing to then throw him in a 10 minute match and break that mystique. So when do you do it? When do you finally, you know, they try and get Regal to break them in, but that's probably the wrong guy to try and do that with. It's such a different style. So I'm going to come to the Goldberg's defense, I think, a bit more than the average person in this cast, because I think he is, uh, I think he's given a lot of uh, stick, or he will until Brett makes it into the company, and then I'll completely turn on him. (laughs) I mean, I think it's something that's so fresh, particularly at that point in time in wrestling, because everybody's like, they're putting big, big matches on, TV and stuff and they're competing against each other and he's just wrecking dudes like it's not a competitive match for the most part with what what he's doing so people enjoy it and it's no surprise they enjoy a guy absolutely killing somebody when right right then uh, UFC is showing exactly that in real life so there's more to say about him anyway because he's on the show later Yes, yes, he is. Yes, he is. Uh, I guess final question, though. Uh, did Were you guys in the, the same boat as me? Did you watch the original run? Did you catch the end of it or did you catch any of it? Any of it? Did you like it? No, when I when I first heard of it, I thought he was just, I was young and I didn't get it. I thought he was just a rip off Austin. Like, oh, whatever. He's just like a muscle head Austin. I don't care. I, I like guys more like DDP and some of the more interesting, quote unquote, interesting characters. When I was aware of WCW, again, I wouldn't have been aware at this stage that WCW was a thing. And then when I became a fan later, I think the streak is really interesting as a concept. But, you know, I had to watch horrible WWF Goldberg, who didn't, I think, have one good match. And then Triple H tried to, like, hinder him to his whole run. It was, like, really weird. I don't know. I'd have to remember that. But, yeah, I would have seen it after the fact. I, w- I definitely would have, wouldn't have watched it live. Okay. Wow. So, yeah, I was I was the only one. I was I was hooked I was hooked pretty much until the streak ended, so I, I cannot wait until we get to that point, but we're just oh. going to have to enjoy the early stages of the streak. So far, so good. Really enjoying it. The The Nitro's actually been really enjoyable lately, and this is just another like added layer, and he is just a good team player that WCW is just kind of growing right here because WCW, they need a guy. It, obviously, Lex is not the answer, so they, they need to grow somebody uh, real quick. Because they, uh, I guess, don't have the faith in DBGP. So, but we'll we'll get into that much later. much later. Yeah. For now, we are out of time on the Nitro recap. It is time for Halloween Havoc 1997.
world of wrestling will change forever. This will be the first time in history. Hollywood Hulk Hogan. You lay the ground rules out. You got the cage hanging over our head. Rowdy Roddy Piper. Hogan, your corner. So what you gonna do? I'm gonna put him out in the pasture with the rest of the fossils. The time is here. Who in the hell do you think you are, Piper? I'm the boss. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. I will chew up Hulk Hogan from head to toe. And I'm the man that is the only god in this ring. Slim Jim presents WCW's Halloween Havoc. The promo package for Piper versus Hogan, way more coherent than their first one around. I think... WCW finally catching up with some of that nice editing WF is known for at this time. And I'm a lot more excited this time. <laughs> they tricked me. They tricked me, but we'll get to that later. But I'm a lot more excited for the feud. It makes a lot more sense than it did before when it was just babble that Piper had to be pulled off stage for it. I had to play the Oscar music over him. I'm going to take a sip of my beer thinking about that match. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, no, no I, I agree, Dave. Uh, this this promo package I thought was decent. The it was just basically sound bites of Hogan and Piper, and they can deliver those sound bites. They they're the old school guys. Uh, even though this feud is pretty played out, I I thought it was it was still entertaining. So I mean, it shows that there was a decent buy rate for this pay per view. The crowd was definitely into most of the show. So it's good good job by WCW, which we could have more of this caliber of type of promo instead of the monster truck stuff. So good stuff. Even if like the promos work is kind of half as good and that would bring up the quality of wrestling in a slight sense, that would be also excellent. <laughs> but I guess we can't have it all. So, Yeah, that, that's very true. The, the issue I have with it is it is exactly the same feud as Hogan Piper won, which was, I think it's a month or two less than a year at this stage ago. Yeah, but it's the exact same lines. They're just way better structured this time. You have a bad hip. Well, you never beat me. Well, even though I'm very old, I'm going to call you I'm very old. I'm the icon. Yeah, I'm the icon. No, I am icon. We we bury old people around here. Then why are you still working, Hogan? That makes no sense. You got to retire that one. At least, uh, like he's a bit more upfront with what he's planning this time and not duping us into thinking it's a world title match. So, yeah, yeah, uh, it's a, yeah. That's a weird. <laughs> I guess we'll let people in on that a bit now. The weird stipulation is Piper again hasn't booked himself, even though he was commissioner for this match. He hasn't uh, booked himself for the title, but he has stolen the title from Hollywood. <laughs> so I'd forgotten about that. <laughs> Hogan can only win the title. Piper can win nothing but beating Hogan. And I presume Hogan would get the title back no matter what, since Piper isn't fighting for the title. The, the kayfabe reason, I guess, is Piper said, oh, I, I've had a, a binding contract laying around for like a year or something like that. So <laughs> the title just conveniently was not written <laughs> into that. Yeah. He obviously didn't have much leverage when he made these contracts anyway, that's for sure. <laughs> there, that, and that's something that really annoys me that we'll get into is just like, who, who actually has the power here? Like, <laughs> yeah. Honestly. <laughs> one, one really sweet thing, though, like at the end of the promo, we get uh, Mark Merrow's theme. This is thank you for the WWE Network. So. Uh, yeah. we, we get his theme. I think Larry's uh, entrance theme music is Mark Merrow's like, and uh, that's yeah, the outro credits music too. So it was nice and enjoyable because I always love that theme. And hey, it's a sweet, sweet looking set. So, oh, the set looks amazing. Classic Halloween Havoc set. Absolutely classic. This is the type of there one they is. used in like the N64 games. 
Now you're now you're talking about language, yeah. And <laughs> <laughs> NWO versus WCW Revenge, yeah. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. exact kind yeah. of set they used for that. But along with the classic decor for the MGM Grand, we get the classic commentary team. Dusty is back, and boy, have, boy, have I missed him. I guess he is on form tonight. I missed him till a couple matches into the pay per view, at least. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, come on. There's nothing wrong with Dusty. He's just excited. <laughs> Dusty is fantastic, and he does he does have a genuine love for what's happening in the ring a lot of the time. You can definitely hear that. They call this the, the most important cage match of all time, and, yeah, they're just really building up this main event again as what will WCW do if NWO win? Again, there's no stipulation that anything bad happens to WCW, but you bet it's bad. I, w- I wish there was just, there was talk, and this happened at Sold Out all the way back, that NWO gets control of shows and stuff like that. And I wish that was on the line more. Like, the more, like, maybe, or NWO gets to fire some, like, WCW workers if they win. Or there's NWO refs all of a sudden if they win. Just something to make it feel like they are actually taking over the show. Because I think at this stage, it doesn't feel like they're taking anything over anymore. And it very much felt like that at the start. Yeah, I just wish there were stakes in general. Uh, commentary yeah. tries to make up stakes. It doesn't really happen. I mean, spoilers, the one match that has actual stakes in it, it's the best match, and it's one of the most legendary matches, too. It's yeah. a pretty easy concept. You put actual stakes for matches, and people, care. people want to see it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what <Yeah>. a shock. <laughs> it's almost like uh, the whole industry has been built off of this for the last 150 mm. years or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm not- Hopefully that comes back a little bit. And we were talking about Goldberg and streaks make it feel like that. But this, this maybe reveals a little bit flat because of it. They very much just feel part of the company now, which they didn't yeah. at the start. Exactly. There's a lot of stuff they could have stopped done to stop that from happening. Well, a big one is I'm only listening to the pay-per-views and the commentary of every pay-per-view and the commentary team are really doing their best is, wow, it's so bad for WCW if they lose. Okay, but I, uh, I saw WCW lose. And it's now the next pay-per-view and nothing's happened. Someone lost their job. Someone going to get fired. Is a title going to be permanently changed? I don't know. Sold out was was a good idea, but they really need to extend on it. Yeah, it's a a good thing to bring up. I mean, they don't mention the Steiners winning the titles. They don't really mention the momentum they've had the the past month of like hurting the NWO members and things like that. It's just... Yeah, chasing them out of the company. Oh, we have to go this like same script that we've been saying for the past year. Yeah. We can try different things, please. Exactly. But our first match of the night shows us that maybe you don't always need something on uh, the line to have an enticing match. Just good storyline. We have Yuji Nagata versus the Ultimo Dragon. And uh, Nagata is a super interesting figure in Japanese wrestling. Good old Blue Justice himself should be a way better known uh, name in wrestling, but really isn't. He's the fifth longest IWGP champion of all time. And he has the third most successful defenses only after Tanahashi no Kata. Yeah, it's good company. Yeah, the two of the all-time greats in Japanese wrestling, really. Unlooking for him, he's a good amateur wrestler. He was a very good amateur wrestling, very good amateur wrestler in college and high school, and that means he fell victim to Enokiism, which is an era of Japanese wrestling where Enoki tried to mingle perfectly MMA, combat sports, and wrestling. But what that actually translated to is he let his wrestlers get their ass kicked, and Nagata has two MMA fights. Uh, one is against Krokop, which he loses in a couple seconds. And the other is against Fedor, who, and he loses in under a minute. And at the time, this really embarrasses Nagata. And when he should be the ace of the company, the transition between people like Chono 
and future stars like Kanahashi and Okada, he just ends up kind of being a middling mid-card guy because he loses all his mojo because he got his ass kicked by some legitimate badasses. And now looking back, the two people he lost to are legendary MMA fighters, like Hall of Fame MMA fighters. Hmm. But at the time, it was Krokop's like third fight ever. And he was just this random kickboxer and it made your fighter not look great. And then by the time his reputation is fixed, you have Nakamura and Okada and Tanahashi, and there's not a lot of space for him in the new era of New Japan. He becomes one of the New Japan dads, as they call them, like one of the yeah, veterans. To be fair, not-, not just the MMA part of it, it's that the period that he is wrestling primarily for New Japan is probably its worst period. Yeah, and ever. It, it's just not very well known at the time. Yeah. And the company wasn't doing well at all. So he's just it's just bad timing for him a lot. Yeah, it really is. Like uh, we're looking at a couple years from now, about when WCW closes down, end of the Attitude Era, we get Brock Lesnar being their champion and not moving the needle at all. Like we're talking about current day lazy Brock Lesnar that doesn't move the needle but paid a lot of money. <laughs> it started in New Japan. Like it started with New Japan giving him buckets of money to have very average matches, and mostly people should be excited when you say Yuji Nagata is excited as a lot of the other wrestlers I've named here, but they're not. And he's a really underrated worker and superbly yeah. over in Japan. Yeah. And to be honest, when I was like looking at the card, like maybe a month or two ago, I was like, Yuji Nagata, who is this guy? His armor looks a little weird, but, uh, yeah. but man, he really impressed me with uh, just his rich history. And it's really cool that WCW gets all these kind of guys at this period of time too. Yeah. I was going to say, isn't is stacked. Isn't it funny, like how how many of these wrestlers that are showing up and we're like, and yeah, and they went on to do this and this and this, and yeah, they just wrestled some one off match in WCW, and WCW never really used them again because it's WCW. But you know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just this year we've seen a bunch of that. Yeah, Chono, Muda, those other guys. Yeah. I can't remember their names. <laughs> that's that's mostly who we've had on at the moment. They're, they're just these absolute legends of Japanese wrestling that you wouldn't have known. So I guess Chono was a legend of the industry already. But yeah, I, I was super excited. It took me a second because if Blue Justice is next to his name, I sometimes don't get it. But yeah, Nagata, very excited to see him in action here. And uh, I really like the storyline they built around it. This is a continuation of Ono versus Dragon. And obviously, Psychosis wasn't getting the job done, so he dumped him for no. a superior Nagata. And they're kind of building him up as this assassin that Ono's brought in to get vengeance and get his kind of get his honor back, like kick Dragon's ass. And I think it works well. Yeah, props to WCW for for dropping the Ono and Psychosis. We we kind of questioned it at the time, Ono leaving Dragon, and it's actually turned out nicely because Dragon's actually turned out to be a really good face. Yeah. Yeah, one, one of the most over faces on this card, I would say. I'm hesitant to give credit to WCW too much for this. It kind of feels oh, like yeah. all the lower card stuff is kind of done organically. The kind of bookers are ignoring the whole thing. So It seems like they just leave Ono to do it. Oh no, is their time to relation with uh, New Japan apparently? So I think he's just literally going, would we're gonna get X person over and he's gonna fight X person. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised. Or or Mike Tanay is just like the full booker of the <laughs> foreign <laughs> talent, because he's the only yeah. one that knows anything. <laughs> he actually knows who they are, so yeah, wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, the com- the commentary on this pay-per-view is uh I have a lot to say about it. <laughs> We're going to jump into the match now. This is probably the longest one I have notes on, so uh, prepare yourself. Dragon coming out on the exchanges early, as he does a lot of the time, getting the crowd really into it. 
We've noticed he's super over, and with all his strikes, you really hear the crowd getting into matches. He baffles Nagata a couple times, especially with that patented turnbuckle handstand. No one can ever break that code. He also does like a sweet, like uh, he has like a sweep. Like I've never yeah. seen that one before. Like most of this match is like dragons, like signature moves, but that one was like very different and really, really impressive stuff. Stiff too. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. They up the ante in this one uh, just a little bit. Yeah, we we've talked about dragons kicks, but Nagata tries to cave in dragons back. Just does not pull his tricks uh, kicks at all. Vicious. Tanay says Nagata was a successful MMA fighter, and again, I'd like to remind the audience. He lost to Krokov in 21 seconds. Now, that's successful in the sense that I would lose to Krokov in 10 seconds. But <laughs> <laughs> I think you might you might get a 20 seconds, Dave. I reckon you could outrun him for that long. <laughs> if, if that was my goal, yeah. Maybe yeah. just in a ball for 20 <laughs> yeah. seconds. I'll do the Enoki. Yeah, if you can outlast CM Punk, you've succeeded. Yeah. <laughs> Dragon hooks up after some more vicious kicks, and he sends Nagata to the outside with some big kicks of his own. When he goes for the slingshot to the outside, he is caught with a perfect kick to the midsection. I really like this because a lot of the luchadors and Japanese wrestlers are doing the drop kick when people are in midair. And honestly, I think that's really hard to pull off and it looks sloppy on many of these shows. But yeah, he just belts them in the stomach and it looks way better to me. Looked amazing. Yeah. Yeah. One, th- one thing I have to know is this is the uh, first match on the podcast for referee Charles Robinson. And oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's kind of a cool storyline. Uh, it's probably, it's not even really a storyline. Hall has been beating up the refs, but I kind of like to think that Hall has been taking out so many refs that WCW has had to hire some. <laughs> WCW has like had to hire one or two more just because I know Mark Curtis, he's had his, uh, He's had stomach problems. He actually passes away two years after this. So it's super sad. That's, there, there's a reason why we've seen some different referees uh, at this at this stage. But uh, yeah, Charles Robinson, mainstay, still refereeing today. Impressive. Yeah. So we got a break from the action here to uh, to watch Ravens flock head down from the crowd to take their seats. And Raven must be uh, a wealthy dude to get all these front row seats every week. Maybe he's got the same uh, lawyer as as Piper. Like, can you get some sort of binding <laughs> contract that's like, yeah, I need to have seats these four seats. I need to not be disturbed every single night. I need to be able to look like I'm from the Smells Like Teen Spirit video every <laughs> night, and I can't do that without front row. <laughs> Maybe they got confused that they thought he was Sting. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone just wants that Sting money, right? He's just an intelligent <laughs> yeah. guy in real life, and he's like, damn, they're paying people not to wrestle? I'll have some of that. I'll pitch that storyline. <laughs> yeah, what, what's what's better, sitting in the front row or go, like repelling from the ceiling like once a month? If he likes wrestling, I guess you got you got to know if Raven enjoys wrestling. You know, do you think when he knows the camera isn't on him, he has like a big glug and then and the popcorn, and they just warn him when the camera's going back, and he musters his hair a bit and lies back. You know, yeah, Raven's had to do promos though, so I think I'll I'll go with Sting. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think Sting's true. job is a lot easier. I kind of get the feeling he shows up maybe 15 minutes before he's about to go on. <laughs> That's about <laughs> it. Like, also, you never know if it's him, right? It could just be a fake Sting. Yeah, it could, it could even be somebody big, brother. <laughs> the current Sting could be a fake Sting. You know, maybe we're gonna go down this kind of storyline like with Avril Lavigne. Maybe the real <laughs> Sting died. Gonna bring up Avril Lavigne. Maybe the real Sting died, and they just picked one of the extra ones that was. Very sting shaped. <laughs> They've it's actually been cloning them prestige style. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's actually just clones. All the fake states are clones. Oh, that's what that's what the lightning sound effect is. Oh my god, we broke <laughs> we it. We figured it out. <laughs> yes. 
Turner's just <laughs> that rich. That sounds like the exact waste of money that WCW would go through. Can we not just get extras? No. They need to be exactly It all makes sense. That's why they have so many trench coats and wigs and shit <laughs> left over there. Oh. Perfect. Oh. Perfect. But we uh, we see some of the members of the Ravens flock we haven't before. We couldn't recognize one of them. We think it's Lodi or Sick Boy. And uh, the other one's Billy Kidman, of course. Stevie Richards, my favorite thing of the night, every time the camera pans over to him, he has another sign to do with the match. And he is loving it. He is marking out to all the wrestling. Yeah, we get to see lovely Perry and Saturn looking little gloomy gloomy perry looking the, ex- the exact same way he has his whole career yeah we we don't have them named yet it's just kind of a group of misfits they're not named the flock yet so yeah, as today uh, calls them and the rest of the commentary team loves that he's come up with that word they're patting him on the back so hard you can almost hear it from the commentary boom the action goes back to the ring and they got a box of springboard handstand with a knee just straight to the back no frills there the Dragon reverses a top rope situation into a sunset flip powerbomb. This gets a two. Nagata then starts to work the shoulder and drag Dragon down, slow down the pacing of the match, and uh, tries to end it with the Nagata lock, which is a figure four kind of off to the side. Uh, it looks like a more realistic figure four leg lock, to be honest. It looks like a figure four leg lock that an MMA fighter would actually put on, and that makes a lot of sense with the timeline of what Nagata is doing at the moment. It's kind of a weird finisher just because the crowd's like really not sure how to react to it because it looks kind of strange. And Nagata is still very new. I think he's had like like just a couple matches on TV. Most of his other offense is actually connected very well. He's there's getting a lot of reactions, but that particular move, it's like, oh, it's just a random transition move. Dragon breaks up this submission hold. I think he turns into it just like the figure four, so it still has the same awful weakness why would you ever put it on someone yeah oh you're reversing the pressure also if you've ever done a figure four leg lock and you're you to someone it doesn't work like that it just hurts a lot when you turn it over it just hurts even more maybe the submission should start like that dragon breaks it and reverses uh, a powerbomb attempt into a dragon sleeper nagata easily slips out dragon goes for another dragon sleeper again after a frankensteiner attempt but his shoulder isn't healthy enough it's injured he has to let go Nagata reverses it into a really simple, normal armbar uh, with Dragon face down. And Dragon just nearly immediately taps after the work done on his shoulder and arm. And I kind of like this. Not enough wrestling matches finish with normal holds or normal moves. They always have to be the very Americanized kind of finisher into finisher into your finisher into my finisher into super finisher kind of sequences. Even in Japan now, a lot of big pay-per-view matches are ended by super finishers, moves that no one has seen before. But yeah, if I've been kicking the crap out of your shoulder and arm for an hour, if I stick on half an arm bar, you're going to tap, you know? So I kind of like this ending. Kind of comes out of nowhere for sure. It's almost even a bit against the run of how the match is going. But yeah, I, I do agree with you. I think it's it's nice to have that. And especially with how WCW will structure its cards and things like that. It's very easy to run into the same kind of finish over and over. So I think they they made a good choice here because it's highly unlikely anybody else is going to do this. <laughs> Def- yeah, definitely. Yeah. And I, I would I would pay this match even more if I didn't have hindsight because they will have the rematch. So like if they didn't, if I knew they weren't going to have the rematch, I'm like, what the fuck? Come on, yeah. we've we, we've been screwed off. But 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 no, was like I, this is a really good match. It's good for a guy like Nagata just to get a win like this. I mean, he seems just like a random Japanese jobber that's just going to disappear. So, I mean, luckily they use him in the future too. So that's, that's nice. We're only going to see him once more in the podcast, but he'll be around like on nitro and thunder and stuff. But yeah, they just do a lot of different things in this match. That's just like really cool. And really that makes sense. Like dragon tries like a, his like cartwheel into an elbow. 
And that move always like and to me in wrestling, that that's always like a silly type move. And Nagata just knees Dragon in the back. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> I wish I wish more wrestlers would counter with this because it's it's always yeah. slow and you know it's coming. Kind of looks always looks a little silly. Theatrical and yeah, his his right. response is very realistic. You're like, yeah, that's exactly what should happen there. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I won't harp too much uh, about the finish. I also think it preserves faces a lot because I think now, especially after the John Cena, and it was happened the same with the Hulk Hogan era of wrestling. A face is not allowed to tap. They got to pass out or never, ever just be in power out of submission moves forever and stop selling them the second the match ends. But if someone works on your shoulder and then gets a cheap submission in, you have to tap. Like, that's just how actual real life works. There's a lot of good fighters in every sport that tap out stuff. And it kind of saves Dragon. It's like almost a kind of cheap, underhanded win opposed to a straight up fair win, if you know what I mean. Mm. Yeah, no, yep. oh, definitely. And it, today also, he brings in that realism, too, because he mentions that Dragon has had problems with the bone chip in his elbow. And like he mentions that like right as Nagata jams his arm. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, perfectly timed. He jams his arm right across the turnbuckle. It's almost like today knows how to commentate and uh, <laughs> convey storylines. Hmm. <laughs> And you know, what Dragon continues to, to sell here, the arm. Mark, I, I could talk all day long. I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> oh, man. All the bitching. Yeah. Well, yeah. we'll get to it. Oh, my God. But yeah, it's, it's also nice that Dragon continues to sell the arm, too. We, we've seen other cruiserweight matches just kind of like they target a body part and then just ignore it. But this one was like throughout the whole match, he like just a little subtly does the, the sell on the arm. So this was just like, again, great Dragon match. We've We've said that all year, pretty much, except like a few outliers and good opening match. Typical WCW, good undercard match. Here we go again. So, yeah, not surprised with any of this. I, I loved it. I think there might have been better technical matches from him, but I think this is actually my favorite one from him so far because mm. he seems to have a much better flow and understanding of what the crowd wants now. And it's like he's adjusted much better to American crowds because like his spots really connect now. And they get on board with his kicks and they get on board with the handstands and stuff like that. Agreed. So. I think it helps that his his finisher is over now. Like we've seen a yeah. couple months of the Dragon Sleeper. So, yeah, that definitely helps. Probably an underrated thing, too, is like two Japanese wrestler doing the New Japan style. Like I, th- I think it's just like the chemistry, the styles just just is matched yeah. just perfectly, I mean, too. Even as simple as they're both talking the same language. Yeah, I guess yeah. there's that. Yeah, I was going to comment the pacing of the match is quite excellent. Even Nagata's rest holds and stuff are done just long enough that they're not boring and still relevant to the match. So, I, I yeah, ex- excellent match for me and another excellent opener in the WCW pay-per-view. The aftermath also a bit interesting. Nagata attacks. Ono gets Nagata to hold up the arm and shoulder so uh, Ono can show off his sweet front kick and they play up a possible injury. Commentary just deadpan. I think Brain says it. it's broken. It's done. His arm's done. So I like it. After the first match of the night, the internet segment is run. But this time, instead of the typical internet nerd, we get Jeff Katz, who's back after sold out. This last time we saw him. Yeah. <laughs> I almost didn't recognize him with his stupid indoor sunglasses. No way, Jeff Katz. <laughs> it's yeah, hard I'm to not- forget a man like Jeff Katz, especially when that whole thing has been burned into your brain. I almost didn't recognize him. Like until Tony mentions, oh, that's Jeff Katz. Like, oh no. Why did you have to say that? <laughs> it's like he's like a foreshadowing of the apocalypse. 
a fun fact about uh, Katz, he crowdfunded a wrestling promotion in 2011 called Wrestling Evolution Project. He said the current products were awful and he would change it. It had an insane indie cast of very well-known wrestlers now. People like Cassius Ono come to mind. No one ever received any of the footage, though, uh, even though the first full season was shot. In an interview with Kenny Omega uh, that Jericho did, Kenny Omega noted he did a springboard moonsault when taping one of them and broke a chandelier. He had to pay for it by working for free for the rest of the tapings. So Jeff Katz sounds like a stand-up citizen. I have to question why... There is a chandelier that close to the ring, but I mean... <laughs> it was like in a, a stupid Vegas location. Sure. It was like a, like a ballroom in Vegas that, of course, has sure. a chandelier. It's best not to think or ask more questions about Jeff Katz. <laughs> yeah, can we please move on? <laughs> I can't believe we're actually saying we need to move on from Jeff Katz so we can talk about Disco Inferno. <laughs> Mark Madden, oh man. Mark Madden interviewing Disco Inferno, and they just say random sexist things. Mostly it comes down to he doesn't know what he's going to do in his match later with Jacqueline because he can't hit Jacqueline. Jacqueline then storms in, asks why she isn't getting interviewed, which is a very good question, actually. I think it would be a lot more interesting interview. Why didn't you, Mark Madden? Please. Yeah. <laughs> and they ch- and Jacqueline just kind of chases off both men. Excellent. Much, much needed to improve the show. Bring back the internet nerd, WCW. Bring back the internet nerd. I love I love Dusty loses it when he knocks down Mark Madden. And I was thinking like, oh, good. Knock, good job, Jackie. Knocking him down. <laughs> you bring him down a peg, Jackie. Second match of the night would be exciting in a few years, but certainly wasn't at this time. Chris Jericho versus Ghetto. And Ghetto is known uh, as the New Japan Booker. Started off a couple of years ago as their kind of junior heavyweight booker. Did so well that he's the main booker. He's apparently one of the main minds behind the big push of Akata over the last couple of years and just putting everything on him and that's worked out fantastically and he has a huge reputation during the match they call him the Dusty Rhodes of Japan but I'd argue maybe he's even been more successful in his booking endeavors than Dusty ever was he's also far worse a dresser than Dusty ever was oh even, Jesus even including Dusty's very very suspect clothing at Hogwild <laughs> even the polka dots e- even the polka dots this is even way worse <laughs> it is Guido, uh, who later on gets a bit of a, I want to call it a gangster persona later in his career, now looks like a pantomime genie for this match. So, not fantastic. <laughs> Very ill-fitting bin bags. Yellow bin bags on Guido. It's dirty yellow as well. I think that's the worst part about it. It's like, it's been worn a lot and you've washed it a lot and it's just lost the color in it. <laughs> the, the spring that you get from nice yellow. Unfortunately, the match is about as good as his gear. We get to see little bits of little bits of what he'd be later known for. Get will be later be known for in the tag team divisions of Japan. But there's a lot of small botches, and there's one very big botch, which is the main thing I'm going to talk about in this match. Jericho goes for a top rope Frankenstein,er lands directly on his neck and head. Ghetto is fine, but the, his bump obviously looks awful and. Yeah, I have no idea how Chris is still wrestling today. Some of the botches he's made on this cast have looked awful. Some of the bumps he's taken have been like really unnecessary. I don't know how this man has survived without major injuries his entire career. Don't know how he's not dead. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it goes to show that like his wrestling ability is definitely... He can have great matches, but then there's there's obviously these stinkers that he has once in a while. 
Jericho, his strength is definitely his personality, his promos, which he doesn't have right now. And that's kind of like why he's still lost. He's still jobbing to Japanese guys at this time. So this match is like a perfect personification of it almost. Yeah. I mean, he's still only about six years into his career, I think, at this point. Yeah. And and both guys are, I mean, Jericho's 27 and Ghetto's 29. Both pretty young. Yeah. And listen, I still think Chris is one of the best wrestlers of all time. You could definitely Same. argue Chris is in one one of the top ten wrestlers of all time, if not top five wrestlers of all time. I think he's, yeah, I think he's top five now. Uh. Yeah, well, just even his newer stuff. Again, don't want to date the podcast too badly. But like his newer stuff is like great as well. He's like multi decade star in multiple companies and changing his style through his entire career. And he will in WCW. We get to talk about this in this run. He will change his style in WCW and be better for it. He knows how to adapt. But at the moment, Chris has disappointed me and frightened me more than anything. A bunch of the stuff he did with Benoit was super scary and not fun to watch. This botch, I, this this should have been like an own heart moment. This should have been WCW deciding whether to cut the pay-per-view or not, because I have no idea how he's still alive. Yeah, I was going to go with draws or something. Yeah, either, yeah, either one. All kinds yeah. of messed up. Take your pick. It's just uncomfortable to watch as well. It's not one of those botches where you're like, oh, that's cool. Did they mean that or not? You're just like, oh, no. I, mm, oh, I, I did the opposite. Watching. I was like, I had to watch that again to be like, did that actually happen? <laughs> oh, it's yeah. they showed on the super slow replay and yeah. it looks even worse from the <laughs> angle that they get. And you can hear the crowd just kind of like notably. They, they Grimace, just, yeah. I love that in wrestling as well. Is he dead? No. Okay, show the replay. That was cool. <laughs> yeah. that looks really, really like when someone hit i remember brock lesnar hitting braun Sto- Strowman for real apparently braun had been him up by accident once or twice and brock just hit him and said slow down and they showed that replay a hundred times on that pay-per-view like look how real wrestling is no that's just brock being a dick that's <laughs> just brock potatoing someone in the middle of the ring I'm just going to run to the end of this match because, as I said, there's not much notable things. Near the end, Ghetto targets the knee a little, tries to get the upper hand. He goes to the top rope and goes for a missile drop kick. I guess on the knee, he kind of goes for a low one. But Jericho just simply moves out of the way, locks in the line tamer for a simple win, keeping Jericho looking strong. And uh, I don't know, does Ghetto show up much on the cast after this, Connor? Nope. That's it. This is it. (laughs) This was also not meant to be, right? So this match was a last-minute addition to the card. Yeah, uh, the match was supposed to be Goldberg versus Meng. We don't know why uh, that match didn't happen. I'm kind of glad it didn't. I kind of like what uh, Goldberg does in this pay-per-view instead, but would have been a cool match to see instead of this one. This was obviously last-minute. Ghetto was actually supposed to win, and Jericho had to bitch about it. He says, like, I, I've never bitched in my career yet. I'm going to bitch about this, and yes, he should have. Because Yeah, Ghetto had, one. I think, one other match in WCW, which is like a random Saturday night match, I think. But not a not a great match. Thankfully, Jericho's <laughs> thankfully no. he's alive after this match. Yeah, I guess it's the yeah. one good thing we can say in this match. Jericho Small went mercies. on to have, yeah, Jericho <laughs> went on to have a fruitful career after this. Check out Ghetto's other other work, even USA matches. Uh, he actually has some good matches in ECW. Highly recommend checking out. I was actually watching some of his matches from War. Those are fine as well. So th- there's a lot yeah. of other stuff you should check out from his career. Yeah, yeah this is this is a blip. don't watch this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Unless you want to see a man nearly die, that's really what you're looking for here. Or if you want to see the sweet, sweet Papa Shango jumper, the guy in the front row is wearing. It's Ooh, yeah. amazing. It's perfect mid nineties glory. Uh, can we get like Christmas Papa Shango jumpers done up for the podcast? <laughs> Gene is in the locker room with Deborah. She reminds Gene she is the star here. 
Gene's to step off, and I appreciate that, Deborah. Some good promo work. Gina asks her, who is the big surprise <laughs> tonight? Mongo jumps in and says, if she wants to be alone, give all the stuff back. Give all the stuff that Mongo gave her back. This is kind of breaking kayfabe of the vengeful wife thing, right? If you want to be alone, just be alone, Deborah. Don't don't poke holes in the story, Mongo. <laughs> well, I mean, it's kind of actually happening in real life as well. So. <laughs> yeah. I always wonder how these people work under it's these conditions. It's incredibly awkward. Like. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you know what would be a great idea, guys? If we had our argument and put it into our work. Yeah. <laughs> Gene says this sounds like something that should be settled in court and not the wrestling. Again, Gene, do you have to break kayfabe every week? If people settled stuff in court instead of the wrestling ring, half your card would be obsolete at this stage. Kind of weird note. I, I Watching this back, I noticed Mongo has a Super Bowl ring on, and he, he says he wants his diamond ring back, so I'm guessing that's the wedding ring. Yeah. When I first watched it, I'm like, all right, whatever. But then when you see what happens in the match, I was like, wait, what? So a little weird. Uh, yeah, this promo, I, I've, I'd never liked Deborah on the microphone, obviously. So it's no. it's, it's not good. annoying. It's not good. She just hits typical notes, right? It's very obviously scripted. She knows her marks to hit. She doesn't hit them with any kind of gusto. Uh, I, 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 I hate to demean someone like this, but Deborah is just kind of pretty. And that's a lot of wrestlers brought in at this stage. And it's going to get pretty bad when the Nitro girls are brought in. They're kind of just there to be fine. Opposed to Elizabeth, who we'll get to later on in this pay-per-view, but I've never heard her talk before. And she's not like overly sexualized. I never really got Elizabeth. Did you not watch her work? Did you not watch her work in earlier WWF? Yeah. <laughs> all, all her famous. I didn't watch her work in that stage. And all her famous clips are her not talking. They're just her getting like pushed or like Macho Man running out to save her. Yeah, it's part of the problem. She just doesn't know how to play a heel. Yeah, it's, it's not her fault. It's really funny later, but we'll talk. We'll talk about it when we get to it. From a possible future dream match to our third match of the night, which would be a dream match at any era of their careers, we get Rey Mysterio Jr. versus Eddie Guerrero. So we've seen this feud develop over the last couple pay per views. They are really building up Rey as the top kind of typical baby face super sympathetic they do these vignettes with Tanay talking about what wrestling means in mexico and what the masks mean to mexico they also have this brilliant vignette where ray on the streets of mexico talks about how it's a way for him to get out of poverty and this is a story not only told to wrestling but every major sport in the world talks about how people apply themselves and and pull themselves up through hard work into their industries. And this is a fantastic story by Ray. This has been told a million times and it makes Eddie's kind of heel, heelish kind of persona even more heelish because he knows the heritage and he knows Ray has worked hard and he's still targeting the mask and he knows that's the ultimate humiliation. And he's also bringing the Cruiserweight Championship into this match. I don't think it even needs the championship to be poignant, but it's in there anyway. Yeah, we we were talking about stakes earlier, and this is like the this is what I'm talking about. It's this match is belt versus mask. What better stakes like do you want? I mean, obviously, yeah, you said like doesn't need to be the belt, but like yeah, Ray's more wrestling for his pride here. Yeah, and yeah, it's great great human element here, Dave. Uh, you mentioned other sports, yeah, it's particularly just other countries. Like when guys come from other countries, they tried like come to America to live that American dream. Like it's just it's yeah. such a simple story. We've heard it before, but. Ray is the perfect guy for the story as well. And yeah, today and all the vignettes are fantastic stuff. Go out your way to watch them. They're really great. They're, they're almost like reading rainbow segments. If you've ever saw, seen those, they're yeah. just like very, like very happy and joyful sounding. And it's like nice voiceover and like cheerful music. It's like, it's, it's actually really good stuff. I highly suggest checking those out. 
Yeah, it's almost surprising that WCW did it, but uh, it shows what the work they can get through when you put in a, a simple, good storyline to it. And yeah, these two guys are pretty much perfect at the perfect moments to have this kind of match. I, I don't say this too often, but I think the feud happening here in WCW is better than when they face off in WBF, their Dominic storyline, much later than their line, even though there's some good matches and some good stuff about this. This is, I don't know, this has been great Eddie and great Ray stuff, especially since I, I didn't like Eddie in his first couple matches, but since he's come back as the very much closer to Latino heel, he's been fantastic. Obviously, Eddie's transformation has been great, but we have to talk about his new music. It is... <laughs> farty bass sounds like sounds like Sega Genesis type stuff. It is so bad. Like only Eddie Guerrero can get this over, right? I was gonna say, are they trying to make it sound like an evil video game mariachi band or something like that? Like, is that his actual music or is this like the network overdubbing it and making it worse? Actual music. Actual music. Okay, because. I thought there are bits of it that sound like his much later WWF one with like Latino heat and stuff. Like, so I guess there's a there's a general like thematic component that they're going for, but because it's WCW, it's all B-rate shitty session music blurbs that they've stored in some archive and have jammed together. Because uh, yeah, it, it it's it's truly awful. I, I understand they needed to make a change, and, and gladly they did because the. When they use his old music for his his heel run, it's like, this doesn't work at all. Yeah. Ray comes out with this new kind of suit on where the mask is attached to the rest of his suit. Obviously, because Eddie's been healing it up, attacking Ray in matches and snatching his mask halfway through a Dean Malenko match to let Dean win. So I guess this kind of helps. But as we see in the match, the, the suit is kind of stretchy, so it's pretty easy to still snatch the mask. I mean, I thought this was just another of his uh, superhero style costumes because it's the Phantom, right? Yeah, I guess it could. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, he obviously wanted to wear something kind of unique with like the, the purple scheme, like bodysuits. Like it's very fitting, like color scheme for just the overall like Halloween Havoc set. And That's really, true. do you see that like wrestlers actually do that, which is kind of cool. I, I would think that he actually chose his attire accordingly. Yeah, he's also wearing his normal mask around his neck on a chain. And gives it to a kid at ringside. True face stuff. I assume this is one of the masks that Eddie has snatched off him. Um, I'm not sure. But yeah, this this whole thing, this has been new to just Ray's arsenal. And obviously he continues to do it for, what, like his whole career pretty much. So he he just started doing this this month. You know, Bret Hart does this, the sunglasses. So this, this isn't a new concept, but it's yeah. just like perfect timing to get over his character, what his mask means to him, kind of passing that tradition like his father did to him, to the new generation, which is just like really cool. Looking back at a lot of Ray's stuff through his career, he's done a lot of things that I think other wrestlers have taken on or get him really over. I think the fact that he has a hundred costumes and a bunch of them are superhero teamed, really clicks with the crowd. I think that he gives away his mask is huge. I think some of the stuff he does in the ring is huge. A lot of little stuff to make up this, what is probably the best luchador of all time. And it's interesting to see that he does it so early in his career. It helps that, like, I think what puts Ray over over the other luchadors as well is just Ray's mask is cool. Yeah. Like, he doesn't need to get rid of it. No. So we can go back and forth about that, but kids would want to wear the mask. Unlike somebody like Psychosis, like, his mask is kind of cool, but, like, it's, it's, it's so, too much. It's so much. It's so yeah, much. It is, yeah. It's too complicated. Yeah. Uh, here, here's a question. 
we're talking about best luchador of all time. Is it Rey Mysterio Jr. or Dos Santos? I would have to see more of his work. Yeah, I mean, it's an unfair question, Dave, as well, because from our point of view, we're not, we don't watch Mexican wrestling, so. No, no. What's interesting, is it definitely the biggest Mexican wrestler of all time in Mexico, or is it the one that's made money, like, worldwide? It's it's an it's actually really interesting because the Santos is just like seven Hulk Hogan's taped together when he's in Mexico, right? <laughs> Essentially, he's also been in like six billion movies, including Dos Santos versus uh, Frankenstein. I think it's one of them. They're all like rip off villains, but they're fantastic. There's a burrito place in Dublin that plays them. I think people will will still remember Dos Santos long long into the future. That, uh, on, definitely. A, on another level to Ray, I think. That's fair. That's fair. And I love Ray. But. Yeah. Yeah. That would be my personal choice because obviously like, I've, I've said in the cast, like I'm a short guy and Ray's obviously the short guy. So he's always been the underdog that like I've cheered for. Yeah, that's fair. Early in the match, Eddie seems one step ahead of Ray, cutting him off all the time and hitting some really stiff suplexes. If there's such thing uh, to cut off Ray's offense. Eddie's clawing at the mask and trying to rip it off the suit early on. He even rips one of the eyes slightly really making it about that mask. And sometimes I think they overdo it and every rest hold has a mask pull, but I think they do it at the start to build it up and it really ramps into Eddie can't afford to go after the mask at a certain point. The spot of the match uh, comes really early when Ray hits a springboard moonsault DDT. This description barely does any justice and you're going to have to just go see it yourself, but it's going to undoubtedly be our Twitter clip of this uh, pay-per-view. So you can check it out there as well. (laughs) I think that just kind of describes this whole match. It's kind of, I kind of feel bad for Dave because a lot of this match is really hard to describe. It's just, it's so quick. It's so intense. It's relentless. So yeah, it's relentless. It's precise. Like, I don't know how these guys do it. Bell to bell, just like so, 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 so good. I genuinely have written down. It's just like, I didn't have time to write notes because it's too good. Uh, (laughs) I I have to pause a lot of these matches and come up with paragraphs and then like rewind them and rewatch. So like a three hour pay-per-view ends up taking me like up to seven or eight, depending on how good, how many Rey Mysterio matches are on the card can take me a lot longer to watch one of these pay-per-views. Yeah, I mean, honestly, like the like other stuff I can note in is like, I think the commentary is fantastic again here. Yeah. Tanae paints this wonderful story. We're talking about Santos. Uh, sorry, I said Dos Santos. I think I went to El Santos, of course. He talks about how Gory Guerrero lived in El Santos' uh, shadow his entire career, and that there's a bitterness in Guerrero towards masked wrestler, wrestlers because of this. And the commentators point out that Eddie might be scared that he's going to live in the next like El Santos' shadow as well. So they built up this mental story about like the rich history of of Mexican wrestling with two all-time greats and Gory Guerrero and El, uh, El Santos and weave it into this match when there's a bit of downtime. Tanay just working his ass off for this pay-per-view. I love how he, he explains like the origin of Ray's name and he used to wrestle as Calibri, the hummingbird, and Bobby's like, wait, 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 wait a minute. He wrestled as who? <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of funny. Like Bobby, like he asks these questions of like what Tanay's doing. He's like, can you stop doing this? You're making me look bad. but uh, another thing i did really like though uh, eddie like launches ray around the corner into the stairs it's like head first no less it's a spot that i think we don't see it that much in wcw for some reason like stairs in general but like obviously like you kind of turn your back into the stairs i think we talked about this with big foley yeah he just goes straight head first into it it's it's one of my favorite 
parts of McFoley's books and he's done it in ECW and stuff at the stage. So maybe that's where the guys have picked it up, but he is very much for, you know, wrestling is very fake, but we can't just do things. The human body wouldn't. And if I threw you into some stairs, there's no way you'd be able to turn around. It's not how physics works. You just like bail over the stairs. And that's what they do here. Yeah. Particularly a small guy like Ray. Nope. Yeah. Okay. Ray turns the tide in the match when Eddie misses a missile drop kick into the corner while uh, Ray is in a tree of woe and he crotches himself. Ray planches over the top turnbuckle to Eddie on the outside for another huge spot of many. Ray gets a two and a half off a standing Hurricane Runner after throwing Eddie to the outside with a head scissors. Hey, uh, Ray hits an insane front flip from the ring to the outside into a Rana on the outside. Not only a complete freestanding front uh, front flip to the outside, hits Eddie with a standing Rana. The, the spots in this match are just insane. Yeah, one of my favorite Dustyisms here. Uh, he can't pronounce athleticism. He call it athletic scissors. <laughs> athletic scissors. In, in this way, I feel for Dusty. But when I can't say a word, it's edited out of this podcast, or I just try and say a different word that describes that word. Dusty doesn't care. He just goes for it. He just butchers the word in every way for the world just to see. And you got to appreciate that from Dusty Rhodes. The crowd is getting to fever pitch after a huge power bomb and a two count for Eddie. After missing a frog splash, Eddie rolls through after Ray moves. Ray gets crotched on the top rope after he leaps Eddie to get to there. And Eddie sets up for a second rope crucifix power bomb. Ray reverses it midair into Arana uh, for the win. Tree count and another fantastic spot to finish the match. I feel like someone else has tried this spot on the casts. Yeah, it's the it's the same finish from the the Bash of the Beach match. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it just wasn't as smooth, if I remember. I actually like this one a little bit better. Yeah, because I actually did. I actually went back to watch it because it's 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 a little different that Ray he goes into the pin to this one. Yeah, for the psychosis match, he kind of when he does the Rana, he kind of flips over, so he has to roll over for the pin. Yeah, this is kind of seamless when it's done. Yeah, and it's kind of out of nowhere more. it's I don't care that it's, they use, they reuse the finish. I mean, obviously we know, but the, the crowd's not going to remember, oh, this is the finish from the 96 Bash of the Beach. So it doesn't hurt the match at all. It's just Ray is so emotional after the victory, and you can see him kind of going into tears almost. Yeah, and he instantly gets his heat back, of course. Consummate professional. Just throws Ray out of the ring, but no follow-up. Just, just angry enough to throw him about a bit. The Cruiserweight Championship back around Ray Mysterio Jr.'s waste where it belongs so tony claims that this will go down as one of the greatest title matches in pay-per-view history and i think he's actually right guys i mean i there was a lot of hype with this match like a lot of friends would say oh this is one of my favorite matches blah blah blah. i kept hearing about this match because i I had never seen it before until now and obviously i think it lives up to the hype i think it's the best match we've seen on the podcast how hot the crowd was i didn't think it was too long i think Meltzer didn't even give it five stars like it just came short, which is, I think, a, yeah, a, a damn shame. Because it wasn't in the Tokyo Dome. <laughs> I think his, no, I think I, I checked the dirt sheet and it says it's not, it wasn't long enough to get the full five. Oh, that, okay. That, sure. There's a little argument there. I guess the, the match is clocking at 13 minutes. <laughs> the second longest match in this, uh, in, in this pay per view, or third longest match in this pay per view. Yeah, it could, it could have given a bit more time to breathe, but the guys pace it perfectly. I guess it means some of the big spots, like I read them out there, but some some of them are actually on top of each other. That's not just me summarizing poorly. Some of them are just one after another. I think when Mexican wrestling is at its best, it is the best wrestling in the world. It is this perfect balance of superheroes in the ring, 
good spots and storytelling and that's what this has this could easily ray probably has technically better matches than this somewhere in uh the podcast history but they're probably just spot fests that are enjoyable this is both this is eddie grinding the match and having a general a general hatred to ray and ray being an underdog and pulling out these big feats i'm glad you brought up like spot fests because yeah. I thought when I, when I when I had the perception of this match going into it because it was so hyped up, I was like, "Oh, there's gonna be insane spots. It's gonna be a super spot fest." And I didn't know that it was gonna have this insane storyline build up and emotion behind it and crowd involvement. I mean, there was tons of heat for Eddie, tons of heat for Eddie, and and Ray is so over again. So I think that's what really brought me into this match, and it really shows like what you can what you can do when you invest into the cruiserweight division or you invest in other guys that aren't. You know your top six guys or whatever. You you can't get these guys over if you just give them just a little Time. story. That's yeah. all. That's all you need. Time. Yeah. Right? yeah. It's a uh, it's insane to think neither of these guys are going to be like close to their world championship in WCW. Maybe they need a couple more years each, and Eddie moves because of the radicals and stuff like that. And I, actually, I'm not a hundred percent sure when Ray jumps over year wise. Uh, it's not uh, it's not till after the company ends i think yeah i think yeah. i think it's not for like a long time but neither of these guys are, are pushed enough in this company not close to enough i can see why chris jericho isn't i can see benoit is pushed and like i arguably i don't think he's close to as good as either of these guys at the moment it's a little sad i think eddie probably should have had the title at one stage and been pushed ben, a bit harder. i think chris isn't as good as these two hmm. Not no not not what I've seen. Like I'm not watching the nitros. I think his uh, storytelling in the ring is really lacking. I think he is just throwing himself about a bit, a bit like Jericho is. I think he's really similar to Jericho, where he's doing some really good stuff, and other stuff is just him destroying himself. And hopefully, people are entertained. You know, maybe, maybe. So I talked with my personal experience with the match. What, what about you guys? Like one, have you seen the match? And two, how did it hold up? Never seen it, but this is this is superb and. I, I think I came in with the same impressions as you, Connor. You know, ah, probably two cruiserweights getting as many spots as they can in in 10 minutes, but not at all. This is just classic Eddie and Ray, and really the guys you get to know later on in uh, WWF. This is probably one of the first WCW matches I've ever seen, I think, originally, because like I said before, it was really hard to watch WCW on, in, on Irish TV because it was either, I think by the time it was really on consistently, it was on really late on Bravo wasn't readily accessible but i got a tape good old tape trading days and it was fantastic a tape with this and there was a Hoove, i think it's Hoove ray from ecw which was mental it was kind of like being shown something that you didn't think was possible because of that up until about that point i'd only watched wwf properly so this is miles away from what the wwf was doing in terms of style so yeah, I knew this was good uh, going into it, and it, it holds up every single time. It's a fantastic match. I, I agree with what you're saying, Connor, in that like you might find other ones where you might enjoy them more because they're like a spot fest or there's just a style you like. Like I'm always going to enjoy big white dudes absolutely pasting each other, even when it's terrible wrestling, because it's just kind of fun to watch kind of freaks do that. But this just has the best package. Everything works. Like it has so many good moments and like right from the start with the mask rip. And again, I'll always point it out when I do, because it doesn't happen very often. The camera work is really good at showing off his mask and how wrecked it is. And it's a really, really good visual of what's at stake. And it really adds to the, the emotional impact of the match and stuff. So it's, it's rare that you'll see 
both people come out better for matches. And this is one of them. 100%. <laughs> yeah, good point. It's very rare do we get the whole complete package with WCW commentary, match quality, just everything. Yeah. Yeah, go out, go out of your way to watch this match. Uh, yeah. But shall, shall we talk about the back backstage implications? You guys know about this match? No. I didn't, I didn't well, know anything. So, well, Bischoff wanted Ray to lose the match, but obviously Ray's like, uh, no, I don't oh, want to do this. <laughs> yeah. He, oh, he wanted geez. him to lose the mask for this match. Why? Ray obviously does lose his mask eventually. It's it's the whole thing. We don't connect with the crowd if we're wearing a mask, blah, blah, blah. So that's why Bischoff wants to do it. And they make up a deal. All right, if you're going to win the match, you have to lose it down the line. And that's what happens. Jesus. So even from a number one standpoint, can you imagine how much money later on WBF made on Rey Mysterio masks? Yeah. Although to be fair to Eric, because I've been listening to him talk about this kind of period, they weren't making any money off of merch at this point. Outside sure. of the NWO, they weren't making money full stop. So it just wasn't a consideration. Now, yeah. you can argue that they probably should have tried it because uh, <laughs> I'm sure people would have wanted to buy Rey Mysterio masks. Yeah, It's it's not really a thing that they were really looking at. Like he, he just wanted to make money at that point. They just wanted to break even because they were losing money every year. So. That's fair. There, there is this rich tradition of American wrestling companies not quite getting Mexican wrestling, right? So even when Ray goes to WBF and he's clearly a fan favorite over like five or six years and they give him the title, they just bury him while he has the title because they don't see any value in him being anything but a really dramatic underdog. To the extent, though, where they just have him lose four matches or something in a row while he's champion. And it's just insane to think this a, a person this talented gets weirdly mistreated and misjudged. It's almost as if the fans know more than the company how much they love this guy, you know? Yeah. We can go We can go into further when, when it happens because I think Hooventude is the first one to lose this mask. So it, it, we, can, we can definitely talk more about the impact of losing your mask and how others cope well with, with, with losing it because obviously yeah. I remember Hoovy like tanking terribly without it. And Ray, he was like, he was still fine without his mask, but obviously it wasn't the same. I was like, Ray, he's too good, but his face is like, wow, you look like you're five years old. Honestly, Ray is one of one of the only Mexican wrestlers I can remember that just benefits greatly from a mask. Because there's other people. Uh, who absolutely does as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe it's this generation. Because I'm thinking of, uh, what's his name? Uh, Andrade from WWE Cien now. Cien Almas. Uh, is actually the most handsome man on the planet. Why the hell is he in a mask? He's just so stupidly handsome. But Ray sure, looks yeah. like it's right up till today. Apparently still just looks like he's a teenager. It's right. Because he also is like five foot two. Dave. Like it is. He's like, <laughs> well, he, he's taller than me. We call him really short, but I'm like five, six. I think he's like actually like five, seven or five, eight or something. But of course the people in the ring are absolute monsters. So yeah, just f- fun piece of trivia. Just uh, look, look back on and yeah, we, we can argue about Bischoff's decisions, but uh, yeah, that's what he was going for. And we'll, we'll, we'll see how, how well that backfires in the, in the future. Yeah. Uh-huh. Could have got the filthy animals like two years early. <laughs> yeah. <Could've> <laughs> we are snapped back to WCW reality. I, I, I just want to pause Dave before you go right back into it. Yeah. Cause I'm going to crack open a beer because now that's the last really, really good match for this show. <laughs> R- rip the rest of the it's, show. It's for all sure. downhill from here. So it just, goes way down. I'm just going to get it out of the way. You can hear it. <sighs> We are snapped back to WCW reality. 
Mean Gene says the rumor is that the click or a click backstage might be adding a new member to the group. I wonder who that click is. He says he wants to talk to you about it, but he can't hear, so you have to call him on the hotline. I think he could talk about it here, but he doesn't want to. He'd like to make money off his hotline. That's just lying to us, Gene. I don't appreciate it. It goes black and white for a Bish and Hogan segment backstage. Bischoff lets us know that it's not a safe work environment. All these stings around, attacking, they can't work in this environment. And unless WCW gives them a contract saying Sting can't be in the building, Hogan will go home. Which, okay, so this makes no sense to me. I get that Piper, his pride is in beating Hogan. But Piper has the leverage. Piper has stolen the title from Hogan. Why does NWO have any leverage here? Why would you not be like, okay, go home, you don't get the title back? This doesn't make which sense to me. What do, you, what do you guys think? At that point, at this point of the show, because I hadn't seen the Nitros, I didn't even know that Piper had the belt. So that never came into my head. And this was just a power play of, you need me more than I need you. I'm the big shot. I'm the big deal. You need to cow to my demands because everybody comes to see the NWO. That's what I got from it. Yeah, that's a good point. <sighs> I hate this promo. It's, it's terrible. It's, it's, yeah. way too, yeah. it's way too long. <laughs> I love how Hogan says, either way, we win. So what's the point then? Yeah. Stop telling the truth, Hulk. <laughs> he, just, Hogan's obviously spouts nonsense, but even more, at one point he uses the term, I think it's striations, when he's like pointing at his muscles. It's just like a very odd, weird yeah. choice that like Hogan obviously looked at like a, a thesaurus or like a dictionary. <laughs> I had to look this one up. Like, I was like, I've he, never heard this one before. He has the toilet paper. He has the toilet yeah. paper that gives you a new <laughs> word every day. <laughs> uh, he also used the word peons, and then he, I think he's used it a bunch of times after that as well. He enjoys the word peons, and the first time he said it, I'm like, good for you, Hulk, spanning your vocabulary, and he's just used to every interview <laughs> since. The, the, this this promo just, it derails the pay-per-view. It's, it's what makes me so mad about it. Like, obviously, we're still going to get the main event, even though, like, oh, get a different main event, whatever. It's like, oh, oh he, okay. He mockingly says at the end of it, I'm sure the fans will be really happy to see another main event without Hollywood. I would. I'd be very happy to see another (laughs) main event without Hollywood. It doesn't make any sense from a booking point of view to run this kind of angle because if you actually were to go ahead with them not showing up and doing, that's terrible because you're like completely baiting and switching the audience. So like 95% of the crowd is just kind of going, well, obviously it's going to happen. So why are you wasting our time with this? Like, this is yeah. the kind of shit that you should run on, like, on Nitro, not in the middle of a pay-per-view to run this, like, mini storyline. Just... Oh. Yeah, the go-home Nitro right. would be a perfect time for the storyline, right? Yeah, I mean, they're trying to go off that because, like, they, they've been pushing this, oh, not safe work environment. We've been attacked by Sting and, like, Piper isn't doing anything and Savage was carted off on the stretcher and we've been attacked backstage, like, laid out and stuff like that. So that that's where the unsafe work environment comes from. And also, I think it, it's a knock on the uh, Brett and Sean backstage kerfuffle, which is kind of funny. That is actually kind of funny. I didn't know that lineup. But yeah, I, I get it. NWO is delusional. They like to lie, blah, blah, blah. That, that's, I guess, what they're trying to go for. But yeah, best not, yeah. not the best way to go about it, of course. It's just like, it's no intrigue and it just derails commentary. That pisses oh, me boy. off so much. Does it stop them talking about other shit? What, one little note I'll make about this as well. And one thing that's annoying me every time Bishop has been on. I, I'm very clearly not a Bischoff fan, booking and character wise. But at hey, least. Wait, hold on. At least he's on the pay per view this time. Yeah. yeah. We, we point that out all the time. Like, okay, he's here. Good. 
Thank you. He is on the pay-per-view this time. But in the future, in a couple of years, he gets his persona down. He's loudmouth. He brags. He's like in your face. In WWF, way, way, way later, his persona is bigger. And I think that's a problem a lot of the times with people who are not wrestlers who get into wrestling. They're too small. You need to be bigger. You can't stand next to Hulk Hogan and just go, yeah, if you don't sign the contract, he won't fight. You know, and that's what it feels like he's doing at the moment. He doesn't he doesn't have that Bischoff voice that he does later on, something that he is very good at and getting people to hate him. I don't hate him now because he's uh, evil. I hate him because he's a dork. I'm just like, oh, just put some wrestlers on the screen. You yeah, know? I, I, I hate him because of the potential he has. He's just not. Ugh. Yeah. It's a small detail, but it really bothered me. He's in like a sweatshirt and like this crappy looking jet. Like, yeah. come on, man. You're like the executive <laughs> producer of the like company. The CEO of a company. Like, come on. <laughs> and like other times he's like leather jacket, NWO t-shirt. Fine. Yeah. yeah. Nice, nice look. But like here, he just looks like complete mope. It's just trying to look cool. It's <laughs> too cool for everybody. Yeah. Too cool to care. This does, as you guys say, completely derail the next match, which is the fourth match of the night. Deborah's Mystery Man versus Steve McMichael. <gasps> so excited to see the Mystery Man. Who is the mystery partner? <laughs> the most exciting mystery partner reveal of the whole podcast so far. Definitely. For a bit of an update, Flair has disbanded the Horsemen. We'll get deeper into that as we get to Flair's match of the night, which I think is a great choice by him. Absolute shadow of itself with Mongo and Chris embarrassing at points. Mongo is still feuding with his ex-wife, after Jeff Jarrett has left the company. Yeah. Woo. Yeah. Get out of here, Jeff. And they were promoting a match between them like <laughs> weeks and weeks and stuff like that. And then all of a sudden, oops, not happening anymore. In absolute fairness to WCW, this is super awkward. Not the first time Jeff has just walked out in a company out of nowhere. And I think they're doing their best in the circumstances. you got to kind of blow off the few that you've built. McMichael would be pretty damaging just not to have him on the show. So I kind of understand what they're doing here. There's two massive crimes against music humanity in this this show. <laughs> yeah. In just in this match. One, Mongo's music is the worst thing I have heard. It's not great. <laughs> Whoa, you, you, you're putting it over Eddie's theme? Yeah. Yeah, I think it's worse. Mm, okay. It's terrible. Absolutely terrible. And then secondly, the mystery, the mystery man doesn't get his music who wants to reveal the mystery and it's the best part of his character (laughs) it eventually comes in yeah it's i'll let connor i'll let connor do the the honors who's the mystery partner i'm doing the dance right now it's it's alex right you have to do the dance (laughs) oh i love the the crowd was doing it too they're so bad i mean i'm I'm not gonna lie i've I've done tried to do the dance myself uh (laughs) from the mirror there is a major issue. Of course, it's Alex right? podcast favorite. There's a very major issue. I don't know if I've said this before on the cast with the crowd doing the, the dance. Do you guys know what it is? What, that they're bad at it? Or yeah. <laughs> If you are standing next to someone, you can't extend oh, your arm sure. fully out. They are just doing mini Nazi salutes in the crowd. <laughs> it's the same problem with, with Matt Hardy's delete thing. When he does that, everyone in the crowd does it. I'm like, no, crowd don't. And it's just Nazi salutes because they can't extend their arm the full way. So they're just pushing their arm out in front of them in a real fast delete fashion. And it's the same here, especially when you do it fast. It doesn't look... And, he, and he's German. It just doesn't 
look good, you know? Oh, wow, yeah. When they try to do the disco one, same thing. Ooh. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah, huh. Dis- disco is very close as well, yeah. D- disco, I was going to say, it's the exact same. And then they have a tag team together, and <laughs> everyone's doing it to both of them, and it's a real issue. Especially, like, in a couple of years. It is now, but the crowds are so big, especially for Nitros at one stage. It's just, uh, it's not a great, it's, it's, it's a small problem in the grand scheme of things, and no one's fault. And if your dance is over, don't stop doing your dance, but not great. I think they could have mentioned the, who the partner was going to be. I don't know why they had to be a big surprise. Right. I love how Deborah's like, it could be Steven Seagal. Mm. <laughs> oh, yeah. What? No. Man. I would have loved it. Yeah. Wait, was Steven Seagal fat yet? No, he would have been in good shape at that stage. Oh, no. Still snapping. Fat Seagal is the best Seagal. Yeah. <laughs> Fat Seagal. It is. It makes, his, it makes his bitterness really funny. Yeah, I think they could have just announced he could have like walked in and broke up the fight between Debra and Mongo. I don't think there was any point in doing it now. And it was like, really awkward. As you said, his music didn't play until a while into his entrance. At this moment, we get another look at the flock who looks super interested in this match. And yeah, Steve Richards still amazing. So that's our flock check-in for now. During this, the commentators are completely on f- uh, off track and give zero fucks about the match. Tanae, come back, please. Yeah. <laughs> I watched this match for 10 minutes without realizing I didn't take in a ting and I was just listening to the commentary. You didn't miss anything anyway, so I wouldn't worry about it. No, um, I didn't rewind it. I'm sorry. I love this yeah. podcast and I love bringing these matches to you folks. I did not rewind the, <laughs> the Alex Wright-Steve McMichael match. Yeah, I unfortunately didn't. Yeah, it was it was even worse the second time going through. Like, why do you feel the need to bitch about it? Because like they they are like Tony's like, no, you guys need to get emotional with me. It's like, no, we. Why are you yeah. so emotional? What can we it? just move on? No, but maybe if we talked about, it, I need to. Talk. Oh, okay, sure. Yeah, yeah. It's I. I don't think I've had commentary be this distracting before. It just completely took me out of the match. All I can really note about this, obviously, the commentary is terrible and the match isn't great. Is how quickly they don't care about Mongol all of a sudden that he's now wrestling Alex Wright. He's already yeah. miles below where I perceived him to be anyway with the way that they were using him in earlier pay-per-views. And it really feels like I'm going, yeah, that's the end of Mongo. I don't think I'm going to see him much anymore. Or if no. I am, it's going to be going further and further away from where he was. Is it because he's a guy that depends on the horseman? I mean, he depended on like the the Halliburton for so long. He he depended on having Deborah so long. He, he depends on tag team and that horseman and the horseman music. His character required being a horseman. Mm. It can't stand by itself. Yeah, very I much think. true. And that's how they built him, right? He was horseman nearly straight away in the company, or he was planned to be. And they built his character up around this. Now, what's Mongo supposed to do? He's kind of been left out in the cold of no real fault of his own. Like I've, I've said before, he, he's easy to make fun of, but he's fine. He's passable. He's better than some of the other people we've seen on this cast. This, this is also two guys who probably lose the most out of this match. And it's nothing to do with the match. And it's nothing to do with the commentary. It is the appearance of a certain individual. And he immediately makes them look like nobody's. Well, we're going to jump straight into this because I'm not going to review the match. It is very basic and pretty medium even for these guys. We'll go straight to the end. Mongo botches reversing a tombstone. Oh, it looks so and bad. Alex goes for his own tombstone, <laughs> so which would have been sweet because Alex went into a tombstone pretty seamlessly. And if it would have been a reversal, it would have looked great. But it did not. Mongo picks him straight back up for the tombstone. But Deborah distracts the ref. Goldberg 
is in for the longest interference of all time. The ref turns around <laughs> yeah. the genuine four or five He jumps times. in on the wrong side too, yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, it's really bad. It's so badly done. Yeah, the referee turns around so many times. Why can't Deborah just tell him? Surely you work out a signal with Deborah to say when it's done, you know? But the ref blatantly just sees Goldberg in the ring a bunch of times like, oops, wasn't supposed to see that. Goldberg hits a spear into a jackhammer uh, on Mongo, uh, throwing, picking up Alex Wright and just draping him over Mongo. Right wing wins with the assist. Right not even getting to make his own pinfall to make Goldberg a bit stronger. We're already seeing individuals getting buried to feed the streak. But it's it's not even a direct. They're not doing anything to make them look bad. It's just that he looks legit. Yes. Like you can tell immediately. You're like, oh, that's a wrestler. These two guys aren't wrestlers. <laughs> <laughs> this is very true. He is just a perfect looking wrestler. Like if you made a wrestler from the ground up, he would look like Bill, Bill Goldberg. Yeah. And what, what Goldberg has like right off the bat is his intensity is there. Yeah. Like he, yeah. he may not be the smartest guy. He, he, maybe he's the one to, to blame for this blown spot. And his spears look like shit in the beginning, too. He basically next Mongo on the ropes, which I kind of felt bad for. But. Yeah, everyone got their spacing wrong. Uh, again, definitely his fault as well. But Wright should have rolled out of the way at some stage and doesn't. So Goldberg just has to kind of jump on him. Right. And, and, uh, and the referee is right behind where, like, the spear and the jackhammer. So, like, the ref, like, you have to hear what's going on. Or feel it's it. right behind you. Yeah. Like, Mongo shouldn't have, shouldn't have been over there. That's just bad by Mongo. Mongo should be nearly at any other corner of the ring to get the spear. So then Goldberg has to do this weird low-angle spear where he's just, like, essentially tackling, like a normal tackle. And Mongo has to fall so he doesn't hit the referee in the back of the legs. So it just kind of looks awful. All three men, I think, make mistakes at this moment. I think it must be a requirement of the referees to have really bad hearing just in general. I think <laughs> this was more egregious though. Cause it's like a huge, like two huge guys, like here <laughs> yeah. and jackhammer. This isn't like, Oh, turn yeah. around flare brass knuckles type thing. This yeah, it's, is, or like, like a ring is shaking. The, yeah. <laughs> it's, it's literally 500 pounds worth of man has just like impacted on the ring. You're like, huh? I guess I better keep staring at this woman in front of me who's just being a bitch. Like, <laughs> yeah. oh, what's Deborah saying? It's so interesting. Let's keep talking to her. She hasn't. Yeah. Even, the thing is, she hasn't even come into the ring. She's she's just like, hey, referee, referee over here. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just shouting nonsense. I'm like, why are you even looking at her? Would you look at a fan if they shouted nonsense at you, ref? Oh, I fi- I figured it out. It was Charles Robinson. He's it's his first day. It's his first He's day. Oh, of course, <laughs> of course. <laughs> I, I will speak a little bit as bad as the spear was. I love the spear to the Jack, uh, Jack Hammer as a finisher. I think they nailed his finisher. I think even a lot of really good wrestlers nowadays that are getting pushes have bad finishes. But I think some of the best wrestlers of all time have amazing finishes. This is an amazing finish. I'm talking to Rock Bottom. I'm talking to Stunner. Obviously, Demandable Claw. One of the best finishes of all time. <laughs> it's pretty cool that he got it this early in his career. I think like... His first two matches, he just did like the spear randomly. It wasn't like the yeah the transition into the finish. He 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 got that around like his his fourth or fifth match, and that's came to be his his famous match: spear, jackhammer. That's it. That's the match. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, they've really whittled down the moves of Doom. After the match, uh, we find out that Goldberg was in cahoots with Debra. Debra gives Goldberg Mongo's Super Bowl ring. And Goldberg beats up right to still show he's cool. You can't align with Alex right and still be, you know, cool afterwards. I don't Goldberg, blame him. Uh. Yeah, Goldberg <laughs> makes everyone look like a chump. 
and now has a Super Bowl ring. ring. I assume they're going to be continuing the feud with Mongo. Yeah, they are. They, they've they faced off at Nitro. They were kind of passing in the wind on Nitro, and you can you can see the the feud builds itself. Two football players kind of going at each yeah. other. And I believe we'll see that match at Starcade. I, th- I think. Yeah, I thought this was a good use of uh, Goldberg, though. Like, I don't think yep. he's ready for a pay-per-view match. Gets his finisher over, and, you know, awful match, but it served his purpose. Honestly, we're talking about Mongo losing his momentum and that not being his fault and bad. But if you know someone is a bit listless and did have some momentum before it, you might as well feed him to Goldberg at this stage, right? I think this is actually a pretty good person to to put Goldberg over. No, it's the right, right spot to use him. Like, I don't, I don't know where else you would do it unless you're going to kill off two of the cruiserweight geeks basically that's probably their only other option is that they have like psychosis and super callow or someone like and then he just comes out and actually and destroys them psychopay yeah maybe so yeah it's pretty much pretty much the perfect spot for him i this was not how i expected for him to show up on our like reviews like i i I think i'd always had in my head that'd be like oh yeah he'd just be in a pay-per-view match and that would be how we'd be introduced to him but cool way to get him in looking forward to seeing more of him because I wouldn't have watched too many of his matches. Not that I couldn't tell what his matches involve, considering his type <laughs> of career. But yeah, <clears throat> it'd be interesting to follow his ascent. So I brought up the uh, the Super Bowl ring uh, before. Yeah. So what do you, what do you think? Did did Deborah grab it from Mongo at some point? I think it's just bad uh, continuity. Just bad continuity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm probably looking into it too much. Yeah. It's not bad. Whatever. It's like it makes sense that that Goldberg takes it. So I'm I'm fine with it. Yeah. Yeah, I, I hope this doesn't. They have maybe one or two more matches max, which they end, as you said, end up doing. That that would be the perfect spot for this. But yeah, happy to see Goldberg. Happy to see it this fast. Like this is our. We're going into our second year of the podcast, technically, right? This yeah, is, yeah. This, this is our second Halloween havoc, and I thought it wasn't for a couple couple more. I thought it was like the third year, and so happy to see Goldberg's run develop from brand new wrestlers to very old ones. We go black and white for Macho Man and Elizabeth in the NWO locker room and I like this interview a lot. He says he doesn't get it. He doesn't he says Bish has tried to explain it to him that he can't wrestle Page unless the contract is signed for Hogan. But Macho doesn't care about that. He's here because he wants to be and DDP is a marked man. And I really like that. I really like him kind of separating himself from the sliminess of Hogan and Bischoff. He is still the Macho Madness. He is still the chaotic idiot that, that he's always been and that's his heel shtick and it wouldn't make sense for him not to want to fight Paige because they built it up as a gorge match I thought the promo was okay it was definitely typical Macho Man it was a lot of a I'm gonna talk down here to- oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> like was- he does it like no one else like no one else so good <laughs> It was great, except he tossed it to Liz to say something. I'm like, oh don't God. don't let her yeah. talk. She doesn't know what to do. But like, like I said about Bish, she was just a worse version of Bish. What do you say, Elizabeth? <laughs> <laughs> That's right. <laughs> like, what was? No one knows what she said. Watch you, <laughs> Connor. Have they have they stopped doing the paid advertisements style promos? Uh, it's it's a lot less. Yeah, it's mostly just like T-shirt ads type thing. It, like it, you don't have the typical like NWO promos really. Much yeah, because it's like that's probably the biggest disappointment for these promos. Now I'm like, oh no, like the main unique thing they had, which was like all the jump cuts and the weird camera angles and stuff. And yeah. now it's just handheld stuff. Yeah, it's just it's just an interview yeah. in black and white. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of, like, it's kind of cheap. It looks cheap. Yeah. It looks like they just couldn't afford color. <laughs> <laughs> 
So yeah, yeah it's it was, it's very unorganized, and that reminds me. That it was it was kind of funny when we went to the Bischoff Hogan one. They just stood there for like a couple of seconds, and yeah. like, oh, we're supposed to go. Okay, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, <laughs> these do seem feel like last second type things that we need to fill some time with. But this whole feud has been just kind of like fine, nothing like too new with it. So I, I've know. I've liked it. It hasn't reached the heights of it. The first kind of match DDP one, right? And maybe it emotionally peaked a bit too soon. But I think it's just really consistent, decent stuff by both guys. This line at the end by Macho isn't mind-blowing. And maybe I, my standards have been lowered because of the terrible, terrible promo cutting in WCW at this point. But he says DDP can say one day that he was close to greatness, but he just couldn't hang. And I kind of like simple stuff like this. And like DDP and Macho are two of the only guys on the card doing it. Fifth match of the night, and I have this labeled as just an embarrassment for everyone involved. So match in quotes. <laughs> yeah, match is match. A, is a is a quote. Jacqueline versus the Disco Inferno, and we haven't seen Disco in about a year. I think maybe a bit longer. Our first episode. First episode. Geez, so <laughs> even longer. Disco Inferno was fired for refusing to wrestle Jacqueline a while ago in the timeline of the podcast. He got his job back. He says, this is all from his mouth from an interview from years ago. He got his job back because after WWE didn't hire him, this goes in line to be Honky Tonk Man's protege. But after a couple of interviews with the company and even being uh, a silhouette in one of the WWE magazines, that seems to have fell true and he didn't make it. He ends up begging Sting for, not begging, but he asks Sting for his job back and Sting's like, okay, He definitely begged. Yeah, <laughs> and Sting talked to the higher ups, and uh, he was forced to have this match. They said you could have your job back, and we would hire you back if you had this job. That was what Bischoff said, apparently. And he is currently the TV champion. Why he is currently the TV champion is because apparently Dave Taylor said if they put the title on him, that they think that Bish and the others would back off and not make him job to Jacqueline. <laughs> Guess what? That didn't work. Nope. <laughs> so this is an awful position. So I liked when I was a kid, I liked Disco Inferno's character. And he gets over. He gets really over. I very much dislike Disco Inferno as a human being <laughs> from all the interviews you see with him about wrestling and stuff. And that's not just because he doesn't share my opinions on wrestling or he has weird opinions. He comes off with little sexist things. And one of the reasons he didn't want to fight Jacqueline originally is because in his words is he had about a hundred pounds on her. Like in real life, a real life woman wouldn't be able to last that long with a man, like a couple of minutes maybe. And isn't that domestic abuse or something? One disco, that is not what the word domestic abuse means. You twat. (laughs) And second, you're a disco dancing idiot that doesn't know how to wrestle. And your problem is kayfabe wise, how can Jacqueline ever beat a man? That's where my suspension of disbelief stops. The man versus woman thing, not the disco dancer coming onto nitros and fighting actual fighters and wrestlers. That's fine. That is that is plausible in the mind of Disco Inferno or whatever his real name is. But losing to Jacqueline was not. So here we are. Jacqueline doesn't look good because of this. Disco doesn't look good. But I understand making him go through with this and not letting him like well shout. I guess. I think what makes matters worse is they give him no storyline at all. Yeah. The reason they have to fight, Jackie says, everybody knows why we need to fight. They know why you got fired. It's like, no. We don't actually. What happened? (laughs) 
and they, <laughs> yeah. they can't say, they can't say it. So it's like, um, so what's the point of the match? <laughs> it's especially bad because we're in this point of wrestling, and it'll get obviously way worse later. Where there's lots of kayfabe kind of jabs and like worked shoots and stuff like that. Why not just say it? Why not just go? You refused to fight me before. You have to fight me now. You don't have to make it that his job's on the line. You don't have to make it that he begged for his job. He's like, you didn't want to wrestle me before, but now you're forced to, and I'm going to tear your arms off, you know? Yeah, I, mean, I think there's even, like, other ways you can do it. Like, the whole Jared China thing, like, there's ways you can kind of weave in the man versus woman thing. Like, yeah. obviously, ni- 1997 WCW, I do not rely on them to properly book this uh, intergender yeah. uh, feud. So no. I hate that they're like, oh, Everybody reads the dirt sheets, right? Like, no, no. I didn't at the time. Like, I have no idea what you're talking about. Yeah, especially back something. Then. Just make shit up. It doesn't matter. Even now, like, you're talking maybe 20% of your audience, maybe less to read the dirt sheets when it's available to everyone at a click of a button. Back then, it was effort. It was actual, a lot of effort to be in the know and, like, smarky about stuff. So imagine the tininess of their audience that is smarky. This is, yeah, like, like you guys have mentioned... There's the whole issue of it being an intergender match. Look, it's 22 years ago. It's a different time. There are different opinions. There are still different opinions even now today. I think it is. it can definitely be done. But we're working with what we got from 20 years ago. So it's already not in a good place. And no. uh, just uh, the whole thing is just booked so badly and poorly. <laughs> and they're just right in a corner from the beginning. I don't understand how anybody's supposed to look good in this match. It's it makes matters worse. The commentators openly admit we do not know how to commentate this match. Yeah, I, everybody is like, <laughs> uh, uh, and nobody wants to take any sort of stance or presence on the whole thing at all. I'll give you a perfect example of like I don't know if you've seen that the the tag the intergender tag match of Becky and Seth versus Baron and Lacey. Yeah, it's it's mm-hmm. cheap and it's carny and it's totally whatever, but. Byron has a spot and he absolutely kills Becky. 100% kills her. Everybody's shocked by it. And he immediately gets his comeuppance and that's the end of the match. And you're like, okay, I might not have agreed with how you chose to do that, but you at least decided to do something. There's a there structure was some to the form match, of yeah. conflict and confrontation yeah. and there was an outcome. Nobody attempts to do this in this match and it is so bad. Yeah, can I, can I sum up the match really quick? Yeah. Disco runs around the ring a bunch. Jackie chases him. Jackie gets some punches and tackles. And that was your match. Yeah. Disco never does a move. There's two things I'd like to say that happened in the match to give Jackie a little bit of props. She has a real stiff clothesline. She has like a JBL stiff clothesline on Inferno at one stage. She also does quite a sweet float over DDT. She can wrestle. Like, yeah, Jackie's a decent wrestler. That's that's why this is so... Such a shame. And I completely get your point because this should have been a decision should have been made of where Inferno gets his come up. And so even if you're talking 22 years ago, the whole point is, oh, it's so embarrassing a man would lose to a woman. And that's not how stories are told now, but that's the story back then. So why not make it more embarrassing for him? Why not make him decide all of a sudden like to hit her and then like regret it? And then she just demolishes him like she no sells it. Have something actually embarrassing happening to Disco because how this match ends is Jackie goes for a crossbody. Disco rolls through, complains to the ref when he doesn't get the three count, and he just gets rolled up. So Jackie hasn't won because she's better than him. Jackie hasn't won because women can be good wrestlers. Jackie's won because Disco's a bit of an idiot. 
That's he's, not a uh, story. he's got to protect his character, you know? Yeah. <laughs> that, that disco dancing wrestler that has to stay realistic, you know? He's so cocky, he's so cool. <laughs> so this match was just a waste it was a waste of time absolutely yeah, waste of time it probably also should have been a bit shorter there was too much running as as oh, connor pointed so out it's like long. 10 minutes it's 10 yeah. minutes so long, long. <laughs> yeah steve mcmichael didn't get as much time to wrestle it should have just been about five minutes less of running and they want i get what they're doing they're building up the anticipation of jackie getting him but then jackie doesn't actually get to do many big moves on him so the, the anticipation is completely just comes to an on end it's not it's not fun there's no fun spot but besides the float over ddt which was just surprising because we go like, oh, damn she's she, she got to do a real move besides that there's no exciting or fun moments and this should this match for all it is should at least be fun and yeah, no it wasn't it's no. not <sighs> on october 26th what's he doing las vegas nevada making me sick down on my stomach he thought they were partners be a horseman! The newest fourth horseman! It's the fact of life that Kurt Hennig is one of the most elite! Woo! Are you gonna be my partner? It's not guaranteed! Yes, I will be your partner! I'm gonna give you the only thing I got left. Not a spot, not a spot. I'll give you my spot. I have only one thing to say. It would be a privilege. Kurt Hennig, the nature boy, Ric Flair, and the ultimate act of betrayal. We have been in the midst of the biggest charade, the biggest game of them all. And they're going to systematically take Flair apart. Henning may be able to fill the role, but he'll never be able to fill the boots of Flair. I would like to present you with the robe of Ric Flair out of respect to you, Hollywood. Now it's payback time. There he is! Match number six tonight, we get a Hall of Fame face-off, Kurt Hedig versus Ric Flair. And the last time we saw Flair, he was getting his head caved in by a cage door. Since then, he has disbanded the horseman and took such a beating that night that he's really reconsidered his career, and that's why he's disbanded the horseman. He's been feuding with Hennig, who has, uh, has become the United States champion, beating Mongo, I think, on a Nitro. Am I right about that? And he's kind of, I've heard a lot of bad things about Hennig. He isn't having like his five-star matches. He's not like the underrated worker, but he's still the workhorse. Like the U.S. Uh, championship is what's being defended on Nitros for main events and stuff like that. And he's looking good and I'm liking his character development. He's stolen Flair's robe at one stage and presented it to Hogan and they've cut off the sleeves to make it fit Hogan, which I like. That's what he comes out to for this match. And I'll tell you what, I, I think it kind of looks good. I think he should keep it. As his, uh, as his entrance. <laughs> You're just liking it because it reminds you of Bobby Roode, I think. I do love Bobby mm. Roode. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> nice. See, that's where you get it from. <laughs> that's true. Uh, and also, to be fair to Kurt, Kurt 
hadn't been wrestling for several years because his back basically exploded. So, you know. Yeah. No, I, I don't think any of his matches have been awful. I, I just remember a lot of people that are like Brett, Kurt, a couple other people, like they do nothing in WCW and like they never reached their heights they did before. I don't think that's true. Like Kurt had some really good matches in WWF and like his vignettes, obviously the Mr. Perfect vignettes are perfect wrestling cheese when he's first introduced to the company, but he's had fine matches, fine storylines. I think he's being used appropriately, to be honest. I think all three of us were like, well, not sure. We, we sure he gets wasted, but yeah, I was kind of surprised to see Hennig. Like not only does he get like main event, like it's like two or three nitros in a row. I mean, it's guys like Chris Benoit, DDP, like all these like nice title matches. And they're like, you're not gonna have your five-star matches and nitro, but like they're entertaining matches. So I mean, it helps that most of the other guys, they're, you know, Nash is hurt. You know, Hogan never wants to wrestle anyway. So it's nice to have a guy that fill in and it's still legitimate and still going to pop a rating. It, it works out. And the best part about this feud is you can, you kind of see it on this promo package that they air in the Nitro. When Hennick is wrestling DDP, like Flair surprisingly just like comes to the ring when he, it's like his first return and he chases him out of the building. And it's like this awesome shot of like a steady cam. They follow him out of the arena. It's probably like one of the best moments like of Nitro that I don't, I don't really see that often. I'm like, and highlight reels either. So this feud has actually been pretty well done. I thought. Yeah. I've, I've, en- I've enjoyed it. I've enjoyed it looking back and, that says a lot. There's a lot of feuds I recognize as good at the time, but haven't enjoyed. But this is this is decent wrestling. This is probably the best Flair we've got so far. Yeah, it's nice that like Flair admits he's like NWO beat me up. Like I want this is gonna be a wake up call and things like that. And his demeanor is different. We've seen that before. I think it was like his Hog Wild interview. He's like very somber. Oh, he's gonna be different. But then he comes out and strutting and stuff. Like nope, not this match. Yeah. He for his entrance, he just runs the fuck out. <laughs> it's, and he beats. it's probably the fastest I've ever seen him run. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it just kicks the crap out of Hennig for the first bit of the match. Brain lets us know that this isn't a wrestling match and it's going to be a fight. And to be honest, they choreograph it that way. It is it is a brawl. I think we could call this match a brawl. And I, I almost think like this could actually be the cage match, but I, I guess the US title is probably prestigious enough for stakes, I guess. Yeah, after beating Hennig all around the ring, Flair gets his roll back. And start style and profiling a little bit, getting a little bit distracted already, Rick, after your blood feud. This lets Hennig get back in and starts to grind down Flair, targeting his leg, getting real dirty about it. This match is super scrappy and back and forth, and I really like it isn't too heavy on the wrestling at all. Maybe that's the limitations about men at this stage as well, but I, I like the story behind it. Yeah, after the commentary, like Stock complaining about Hogan for a little bit, they they finally call a little bit of the match, and uh, they they believe Flair came back too soon, which I'm I'm glad they added some insightful commentary. But yeah, it's like the first Nitro after Fall Brawl, like Tony, he just leaves the show because he's uh, he's in shoot, he's like really good friends with Flair, but he's just like so distraught after Fall Brawl that he just left the show. The whole Nitro didn't call it, so the the commentary is very shook up with this whole Flair thing. WCW guys are really good at getting paychecks for not doing anything, aren't they? They're real good at coming up with storylines that involve them not being there. Oh, sting. <laughs> yeah, Flair also, the, the commentary are really good at uh, styling Flair's head injury, like really concerned. They talk about con- con- concussions and the NFL and stuff like that, and it's good to know things never change long term. <laughs> a headache oh. pings Flair's head against the ring post, and he just grabs a chair. He tries to absolutely smash Flair's head with the the chair, and I like seeing this vicious side to Hennig. He knows he he gets to keep the title on DQ, so why not? In the tree of woe, 
Flair wraps the title belt around Hennig's head, and he goes, I think he's going to do a baseball slide. He struts around the ring, but he ends up just stomping him, which is kind of a bit anticlimactic. Still fine. I, I like that he doesn't care about the title as much. He just wants to hurt Hennig like Hennig hurt him. Hennig is also left kind of there in the Tree of Woe for a while, and I don't know if that's good for you, all that blood, blood rushing to your head for that long. Yeah, he was busy selling the, the face, so I, I thought that was actually really well done, too. Yeah. Like, I, th- I thought Flair did a really good job selling his face when he got injured, but yeah, Hennig, he was his hands did not leave his face until he got to the back. Another thing to note, because I, I I love how badly they treat the US, the US title. That's not the US title. <laughs> yeah, I didn't notice till, it until it goes No, it's, it's the TV title. <laughs> I don't know why he's carrying the TV title, but they use the TV title during that match. Flair obviously <laughs> gets DQ'd for this, and the refs try to pull him off, but Flair beats up a bunch of refs and uh, run them down. They pull him off Hennig eventually, who's still in the tree of woe all this time. And commentary make an extremely valid point of why would WCW refs care? Why would the WCW refs not just let Flair kill this man? It makes no sense. Vincent and K-Dog are out and they pull Hennig away. They don't even try and attack a rampaging Flair and they pull Hennig out so he can make his way to the back. As Connor said, face covered the entire time, selling it. And Flair is back with vengeance. I'm okay with it. This is a fine match and a fine continuation of what I assume will be continuation of their feud. It was nice to see a brawl and just like, I think a proper brawl, not a, not a Hogan can't actually do a wrestling move brawl, but a nice brawl style match. They went to ringside. They went inside. They targeted limbs. There was an actual feeling of hatred between both men. What do you guys think of this? I think they try to do that. They try to get across like, uh, it's, it's more than just a wrestling match and it does start off right. But, Maybe it's their limitations as wrestlers with their age and their career and how long it's been and stuff. Or, I don't know, whatever it is exactly, it never quite gets there for me. Maybe there's also a bit of being bogged down by the fact of the previous two matches. (laughs) (laughs) I'm so deflated that I'm just like, oh, yeah, whatever. Fine, let's get through this. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I pretty much agree with you. It's just a fine match. They don't do anything too special. The... I, that's why I kind of brought up that this could be a cage match. It felt like this this match could have been a little bit more violence, con- considering the how implications, how, how brutal, yeah, how brutal the feud like was. Like Flair was, you know, out, out of commission for several weeks. So, yeah, I I hope they ramp it up. I hope it isn't the cage match because they want to ramp it up another notch and they want another pay per view match out of this. But I, I don't, I don't, I haven't looked ahead at the card yet, so I don't know. Macho being interviewed. Uh, at the inter- internet desk and uncharacteristically internet position internet position <laughs> sorry <laughs> he's uncharacteristically stumbling across a bunch of his words not making a lot of sense and not in a macho madness kind of way just he kind of doesn't know what to say gist of it is he's gonna beat ddp well why are we hearing from randy again like i don't understand <laughs> yeah i don't know why this isn't di- uh, pa- uh, page or his wife or something like that or just no promo at all. What, what was the show not long enough as it was? Like I, I don't get that. You, you gotta plug the internet twice. It's the future. WCW weren't wrong. I guess because there was a pull apart brawl, they didn't get enough of an internet ad in. So <laughs> right, <laughs> yeah. More importantly than uh, random internet segments, JJ Dillon is back. Yeah, open healthy since his uh, his attack didn't happen on pay per view, so I'm not emotionally invested in. He hasn't been seen <laughs> since uh, Hogan took him out. Uh, but he's here tonight with Gene. Gene runs down that cowardly, dastardly 
Bischoff and Hogan. Dylan isn't going to let Bish stick it to the fans. He says this match will take place. Bish is out to interrupt. While he uh, mouths off at uh, Dylan, he pulls out a contract very smugly and rubs it in Bish's face, who's losing his crap now because the contract has been produced. Obviously, they don't care. They want the main event to happen, and they're saying Sting can't interfere. Bish is shouting that he can't do this. Which is weird. Why can't he do this? This is exact, exactly what you wanted. Surely you've just got the faces to do exactly what you want. This is exactly what I was talking about. Bischoff's like, I have the power. You have no strokes. Like, do, do you? Like, I, do, yeah. I don't know anymore. Yeah, yeah I, do, I don't know. How does that even work? Like, why did you ask for this contract if you don't want it? And then he says that if Sting is here, the end of we all wants Nitro. But that's not how it works. The contract's already signed. You're a terrible negotiator, Bischoff. <laughs> is this why everyone has million dollar contracts? I want six million. <laughs> well, we can only do one. Okay. Uh, Bischoff is so good at this. But, but you also get a monster truck. Oh, that gas. <laughs> oh. <laughs> now we're talking. With every prop you use, you can take home. I want a monster truck and a house and a. No, it, it's so weird. Yeah, we get it. We get nitro. Why wasn't that the condition at the start? Why isn't it if Sting lays a hand on us, we wanted a contract that nitro is ours? Then there's then there's. Stakes. This is literally what we talked about at the start of the show. Then it feels like the NWO was trying to take over. Their whole goal from the start was trying to take over. Not Bischoff throwing a tantrum and throwing it in last second. And it's obviously not part of the stipulation anymore. And hey, I, I might I might tune into Nitro too. If yeah. That <sighs> so weird. <laughs> from that, we jump to the seventh match of the night. And the bad guy finally gets unleashed. Scott Hall versus Lex Luger. And as we've said, Nash is injured, hasn't been around for a while. So Hall is out with six. And special guest referee, most over in the company, Larry Sabisco. Been feuding with Hall since a little bit before the last pay-per-view we did. I think he started on the Nitros before the last pay-per-view. And it's continued mostly the same. Yeah, it's been building like for a while now. Just like even when like the NWO would kind of invade the commentary booth, Larry was always like, "Oh, you're not going to push me around," type of. Yeah, thing. this has been a, a fun feud. Like like I said, I, I think Scott Hall deserves a lot of credit here. He's he's been wrestling pretty much every week too, and he's just been bullying, beating up refs, and Larry gets the honorary referee by by Piper, and he's going to promise he's going to call the match right down the middle, as good faces do. Yeah, I kind of like that they add that wrinkle to it because it's actually interesting. Where before, if you don't add something like that, you're like, well, why doesn't Larry just screw Scott? They hate each other. Why isn't Larry just like tripping him up and counting triggery fast? It makes no sense. Yeah, tech notes, uh, Nick Patrick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I, I kind of like this. And uh, the one thing I will say I don't like about this is Lex Luger, the champion a couple of episodes ago, is secondary in his feud. He's the third wheel in the feud between Larry and Scott Hall. We've talked about this. I think Luger's chance is gone. I think he was really over with the fans, and now it's it's done. He's kind of a patsy almost. You can see why they need to build up Goldberg fast. The match starts, and Larry tells uh, Hall to straight away lose the two-pick, but that means it ends up right in Larry's face, and he starts laughing. He ends up with instant comeuppance with a huge clothesline from Lex. Opening the match is all about Larry calling it down the middle like he promised, breaking holds up for both men, when rules are broken, even pushing Lex off of uh, off of Hall after pushing Hall off of Lex a couple times. Crowd are way more interested that, uh, in Sabisco than anything they could pull off in the match, so I'm absolutely fine with them focusing on it this much. In my notes, I have just a lot of time wasting in this match. Yeah, 
Yeah. I have very slow and lazy. <laughs> I, I think Lex Berry does anything. I think I, I don't mind it because I think no matter what they do moves wise, the crowd are just going to care about what Larry does or his interactions with Hall. It's little stuff like this that I love from Hall. When he finally gets a lot of control over the match in uh, Lex, he gives Larry a big thumbs up for breaking up one of the moves a couple seconds before it. Like it's uh, Zabisco's fault that Lex might lose the match. Six annoys me in this match greatly. Oh, he's he's like, so good at it, though. Yeah, He's <laughs> screaming. Yeah, no, in a good way, in like a heelish way. He is screaming at Larry when he doesn't count faster, even though Larry's counts are pretty fair. Or when he gives the five count to break up a move. Six is like, why didn't you get him off sooner? Just like screaming his head off at Larry in the ring. Absolutely great. I do like, um after like a couple of slow counts from Larry, like Hall follows up with like sleepers, like, aha, I know pinning is not going to work, so we'll just do an endless sleeper to slow the match down further. <laughs> yeah, at that point, I, I genuinely have, I think the sleeper might put me to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> Lex keeps getting knocked off the apron after this. When he tries to get back in for the third time, Hall hangs him over the rope and just tees off. Larry pulls him off after a, a four count and Scott tries to clothesline Larry after a shove back and forth. Larry back body drops uh, Hall out of the ring to a huge puff from the crowd. Does it seamlessly. Zabisco hasn't lost a step. Bischoff is out to complain about it, but Larry just straight away kicks Bischoff off of the apron, which I thought was fantastic. No real need for him to be out there. He counts out both men, but both get back up. Lex did not take much damage to really be counted out, but, you know, wrestling. Lex tries for his finish on Hall, but Larry gets distracted eventually when the numbers games kicks in with both Bischoff and Six coming up to the apron to complain. Six hits the kick to the back of the head, letting Hall hit the outsider edge. So Bisco's forced to count three and is not happy about it, stalls a little bit after two, maybe not being as 50-50 as he, uh, as he promised. Larry asks for a replay as the NWO walk out celebrating. He sees Six's awful-looking slow-mo kick. Did not reconnect at all, unfortunately. Did not need to be shown back to the crowd in slow motion. He says the match is back on, which breaks down all of kayfabe, and no heel is ever able to interview in a WCW match ever again. <laughs> I mean, no, this is a one-time occurrence. If only referees had this power through the Attitude yeah, Era. Every single time, right? Every single I hate <sighs> when... This is my pet peeve when normal referees do it as well, because then you're like, why the hell doesn't happen at every pay-per-view? There's a bad finish at every pay-per-view. They're still doing it today. WB did it in a match where a referee ran from the back and told the referee in the ring that someone had cheated. I'm like... Where were you for the other six million matches this month that ended like this backstage referee? Hall shoves Sabisco and Sabisco shoves him back right into a rock by Lex and instantly taps. Lex gets another weirdly tainted victory. God, I hated this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hated Super it boring. so much. <laughs> the action really picked up when the match was over. It was yeah, funny. like it was boring. It was lazy and whatever, but oh, I, I hate the finish so much and I hate the way that every time when when they do get something over the end of the row, one, it's kind of bullshitty, and two, they always like Tony's always like, Oh yeah, we really stuck it to them then. What? By being dickheads. Like I like <laughs> yeah. oh, this you get no clean wins, which is really annoying. Like I remember with some memories, and I think they're a bit false of it, is DDP hitting like seven diamond cutters on people and finally like just about getting a pin on one of their members. And that was something to be celebrated. Like the unconscious ref that had taken the bump, managing to wake up and count the pin in time. The closest thing, I guess, is the Steiners, 
over the outsiders, but even that's super tainted. Yep. I hated it. Absolutely hated it. I thought like six interfering was actually really well done. That's probably one of the best actual interferences. Yeah. It made sense. It was logical. It worked. But the actual but the way NWO should do every time. Yeah, but the way it actually finishes and everything, I'm just like, ugh. I don't care. Lex is done. I don't, I don't want to see him anymore. Uh, no, Lex feels super done. I can completely agree with that. It's just it's just hard to it's hard to go to this match, especially from like the the high work rate we saw the first couple of matches. Yeah, and just go, going to this. It's yeah. At least I enjoyed Larry's and Hall's. They have good chemistry. I enjoyed their interactions. I don't think it's a well structured match. I think the ending could be a lot different. I think the show me the replay cliche was even cliche back then and completely tore down kayfabe, as I said. But I like the feud. I like the Hall-Zabisco feud. So hopefully they get something better. I don't think they do. I think I remember what match comes next. I just hope I get to see Scott Hall be good for a while. Because <laughs> he can be yeah. so good. He's not given yeah. time. He's in he his does, novelty He does matches. get a little mini push here. So yeah. we... we I'm I'm not sure how it fully pans out, but he does get a little mini push. Good, honestly, after watching for a while, I would like the next world champion. Like I'd like Hogan to be beat convincingly by someone. So let's say Sting. I don't know how it actually works. I, I'm not. I'm more at this history. But let's say someone <laughs> like Sting, and then yeah, I'd like it's, it's gonna be fun. I, yeah, and then yeah. I'd like Hall to win it off Sting in a cheaty way. Then Hall to be the main guy for the NWO for a while because he has it. He has everything. You know. Post-match, we get what is probably the future for Sabisco, even though I'd like to see him work with Hall a bit more. Six breaks up the rack straight away, and they attack Sabisco. He defends himself against Six, which I really like, and he puts on like a real triangle, real MMA triangle. This is pretty early in MMA's history as well. Then a real guillotine. It makes it like tangible that he defend himself against an NWO member, because when... You don't want your heels to look too stupid when they get beat up by a referee, you know? But Larry has a real wrestling background and a real MMA background, apparently. It always surprises me. Like, I never saw Larry's, like, obviously his heyday. I see, like, his past his prime, though. Like, he can still go. Like, I, I've, I can't remember if I've told you guys. Like, I watched, like, a random TNA match with him and, uh, and AJ. I was like, whoa, this is, like, several years after this. And, like, he can still wrestle pretty, pretty good. <laughs> Yeah, he's one of those super... It's like when you watch Ricky Steamboat. These are on them. We break out small matches with people. God damn. After this impressive show, though, by Zabisco, we get uh, Hall and Bischoff beating him down. Hall holds up Zabisco. That allows uh, Bischoff to get off one of his hi-ya karate karate kicks. I'd be so proud of. (laughs) And good good old smug pin from Bischoff. Oh, yeah. 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 You got to smug it up. Can't wait for that match. (laughs) <laughs> eighth match of the night and my favorite trope random death match of randomness which is definitely not a, a last man standing match at all definitely not las vegas sudden death not just normal death match sudden death match between randy savage and ddp feud's been going on for a while and there's not much more to say about it that we already haven't they're reselling pages injured ribs which I'm not a fan of. They're kind of just going back to the well because they don't know how to progress this this feud. I've enjoyed it, but I think Connor hit on it well early when he said it's going nowhere. It's it's hit its peak already, and I don't think they're sure how to end it. It was cool that the the, the moment when DDP Diamond Cutters Macho on the concrete 
it was just cool to see the NWO just be weak for once. You know, Macho gets off on the stretcher. I'm sure in kayfabe, he was selling the injury. He wasn't hurt that badly hurt. WCWs, they, they might have a fighting chance here. So the, I guess that's the kind of the, the new feeling that we're getting, especially from DDP, because he's kind of like the token leader of WCW, in my opinion. Yeah, at least he is definitely the fan favorite at the moment if he's not like the proper leader. I know he they make him kind of lone wolfy as they go on with the story, but uh, a bit like Piper is at the moment. But even this month, like he's been kind of teaming up with Piper and staying. So it's been yeah. it's loose affiliations, but it's there for sure. So this match feels very similar to their first kind of outing. A lot of brawling around the ring and in the audience. We go by the flock and Stevie, uh, Stevie Richards loving this match. They brawl to the crowd and towards the stage. Macho shouting at the fans to move pretty aggressively because security aren't really on it. They start to throw each other all over the props. Uh, and uh, they are all very, very clearly styrofoam and would not hurt at all. And it completely took me out of the match at this point. <laughs> but it doesn't take Dusty out of the match. Yeah, who absolutely say. loves it. Line of the night. Is it he wobble like legs? Wobble like him? He wobble like them. And then he's just like, that's a waitress tray. It's a waitress tray. He's like, oh, okay. Yeah, we know. He just loves naming things that are there. Just little random items, like like someone's put it there, like it's some kind of Easter egg egg hunt. Oh, there, there's a waitress tray. Hit him, hit him with it. <laughs> Dusty, <laughs> calm down. I think he just wants to be out there blasting people with random items around the ring. He just misses it so much. He even gets a one up on there. He says, uh, "Dust, that's a real tombstone pile driver right there." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good to have you back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, after after Paige smashes some kind of plastic tray, I don't know if it was a tray or a bowl, over Macho's head, which, which looks waitress tray, which looks way better than the styrofoam tombstones doing absolutely nothing. They make their way back to the ring, and Macho uses the steps, throwing Paige into the uh, them a couple times that look particularly vicious. Macho rips a camera off a cameraman and throws him aside. Macho goes to hit a prone DDT with it. But DDP kicks the camera into Macho's face. So do you guys think that was a reference to the uh, the Hell in a Cell match? Could have been, yeah. Oh, maybe. Yeah. Yeah, I'm so bad with the timelines. I'm just not thinking of what's happening in their counterpart at the same time. Yeah, it happened like a few weeks before this. It, the name of the cameraman as well. I don't know if that's legitimately his name. I thought it was interesting because it's Crockett. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, Crockett. He's called Jack Crockett. And I wonder if it's actually one of the Crockett family or, or not. I don't know. Because I know, I know some of the Crockett's were still working for WCW, so maybe he actually is. Huh. My other question is, that has to be a uh, a gimmick camera, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Nope. Nope. Because even commentary is like, geez, how much money was that? Like, Because broadcast cameras are... They're expensive, they but cheap. the figure that one of them comes out with is like a million dollars or whatever, right? It's probably it's, a little high, but it's it yeah. has to be like it's at least five figures. Yeah, at least. yeah, that's Maybe definitely. Six? I don't know. It's definitely not propped because they don't take that far ahead. That was definitely just a real camera <laughs> that Macho destroyed. <laughs> just like they were real monster trucks that they definitely didn't lease. That they definitely just bought and thought well, what to do with later. Macho owns one. Hogan owns one. Yeah, but I never thought of the Hell in a Cell reference. Actually, that's pretty good. After this spot, there's a double count, but Miss Elizabeth, Elizabeth smashes a plate over the ref's head to stop it. It was like soon enough into the count as well. I think you could have just distracted them. I'm not sure if you needed to brain them. She then chokes Paige with a camera wire. Kimberly is out for the save, though, dragging Elizabeth to the back all the way by her hair, which looks uncomfortable even if you're faking it. Can you do the dusty call? Cat fight! Cat oh, fight! Yeah. 
I, I, of course. He doesn't do it in Joey Styles fashion, but he's like, get fat, get fat, yeah, get fat. Yeah. 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 <laughs> oh, he loves these type of matches. Also, so much. Why does she care about interfering? It's no DQ. I. Uh. Well, she wants to stop the count, but why? Why like genuinely murder the ref? Yeah, why not just, just distract them? That's what I mean. Like just. Just go to town. Like, it doesn't matter. He, he can't... He, yeah. He, it's, it's called a sudden death match. <laughs> why not, Why not like, pick up Macho? Why not help him up? Do something. But no, nah, has to actually destroy a plastic plate over the referee's head. Which I know it probably didn't hurt, but it looked like it murdered the man. It's the NWO's new world order on taking out refs. It's just... It's the way That's they true. think... It's just how they handle things now. Nick Patrick, the good referee we all know he is... Is out to save the day. Macho stops a cutter by Page in the ring by grabbing onto the top rope. Came off a bit sloppy, just kind of looked like Boatman took the move. Boatman are kind of selling that they've been through a big match, but there's been no big spots besides the camera one. I mean, so I'm like, why are they forget about the styrofoam? Like eh? <laughs> <laughs> Those were legitimate tombstones. Yeah. They weren't styrofoam at all. Or all that brawling <laughs> in the crowd that was so yeah. so exciting for one of the fans. He he got topless as a, as a result. <laughs> That's oh true. yeah, I was gonna, I was going to mention that. <laughs> yeah. Why would you take your shirt I don't off? Know. Seriously, yeah, that's what I immediately thought. I was like, yeah, I really need to celebrate the fact that two of my favorite wrestlers are right in front of me by getting shirtless. Uh, <laughs> this is, okay. this is how I'll stand out. Yeah, yeah. far fetch, far fetch. But when when you have a new child, some people recommend you go topless to get that skin on skin contact. Maybe the fan thinks if Macho touches skin on skin contact, they make a bond, you know? Oh. Bond for sure. life. Or he was just looking for some Slim Jims. Like, uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> he had Slim Jim just painted on his chest. It would have been a lot better for sure. Hey, Macho, look at my striations. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Snap, in, snap into me, Macho. Snap into me. The, yeah, they, they kind of sell near the end of this match that they've been through a war and they're both worn out. And like one reversal is leaving both men on the canvas for like a six or seven count. But they haven't earned this in the match. They've not done a lot, so it's not believable. So when they start hamming it up near the end, I'm like, did I I had to rewind the match? I'm like, did I miss a big move that I should be talking about in the cast? No, no big move happens. Right. I know what you mean. Cause like Macho, he does I thought at first, like, oh, that's the worst elbow I've ever seen from the top rope. Yeah. But yeah, it's just what you're saying. Like they're just playing out this fact, oh, I'm really tired. I couldn't give a real elbow. Yeah, I could barely get off the top rope, and that's what he does. He hits his finisher on DDP. And DDP is able to answer the count, though it's a really slow count because Nick Patrick makes a mistake when Macho gets up after the elbow. He breaks his first count and starts a second count. So Macho only gets up at a six or something instead of count keeping the count going. He goes all the way back to one. And oh, my God, I don't need to see two men attempt to get up for 20 to 30 seconds at a time. Ten is already enough to like lose interest sometimes in this match. But DDP answers the count. Savage slams DDP. And goes for an elbow straight away. He hits it full on this time, not as sloppy. But DDP is up again. Another ref bump this time <laughs> by a little time as Paige hits a diamond cutter <laughs> for some reason. Boatman answered the call again because after the ref bump, the ref just gets up. So maybe it was an accidental ref bump. What do you guys think? I don't know. Uh, maybe not accidental. Yeah. It was just, I don't know. Nick Patrick has to say um, I'm tougher than the other ref, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> yeah Nick Patrick doesn't stay out. Hire me for longer. <laughs> Both men answer the call after the diamond cutter. Paige goes for another one, but this time Macho spins out of it and hits a big low blow. Sting is walking out straight away. He just cracks DDP with a bat in the ribs. 
that's not a real sting. <laughs> that is definitely not a real sting. A real sting doesn't wear a wig and a sting mask. He just has paint on. Yeah. It's getting kind of obvious. He also doesn't look orange. <laughs> yeah, it doesn't look orange. Commentators call bullshit. Yeah, at least commentaries getting it by this point. Like, well, we know Sting doesn't act that way. It's probably not him. We finally figured it out. <laughs> well, he said, look at the boots. Apparently, it's Hogan. They, they point out that it's probably Hogan who's done it. And they say it's Hogan because he's wearing Hogan's boots. So Hogan wasn't even bothered <laughs> putting something over his boots to disguise himself as Sting. Anyone that falls for one of these stakes, uh, fake Stings gets everything they deserve from that point onwards. Sting did not earn the victory here. He stays down this time uh, with Macho, even though he didn't take a move in this buildup, answering the call at about seven and Paige staying down with his internal bleeding and cracked ribs and all that. Macho attacks Nick Patrick and gets in some kicks on Paige before he goes. The commentary think it was Hogan under the fake mask all the time. Duh, lads. DDP is stretchered out, selling his hurt ribs real bad. Again, this is kind of what happened at the start of the feud. I'm not buying it this time as much. It's not as entertaining. You don't really need to go back to the well. Macho gets a few shots in on the way out because he's on a stretcher. And a stretcher is like a, a moth to the flame of a heel in wrestling. Like red to a bull. you got to just get a few more shots in if they're being stretched out. But he doesn't go to full full way. He doesn't like flip Paige off of it or something or attack him on the ground. He just runs, pushes a few of the, the staff out of the way, hits Paige a couple times, and he just walks off. He's like, that's enough. That was exactly enough of a beatdown. Good day. I said good day, sir. <laughs> I said good day, sir. Do you bite your thumb at me, sir? This match was all right. I thought the crowd was like surprisingly not into the match that much. Of course, uh, 97 fans would get into the cat fight and then they were kind of invested uh, fur- further on. But I, de- I definitely thought this was the worst of the three. Maybe because I don't really like these style of matches. It's always slightly anticlimactic. I understand this is the way like you gotta you gotta go somewhere with your feud, so here here we are. And I think this is kind of their last effort. I know that I think they wrestled maybe in tags at some point. Kind of like with the rest of this pay-per-view, it's the end of like, a lot of trilogies. So gotta get it over way in some way. It is absolute nonsense that the feud isn't just about Randy beating Diamond twice, Paige being a sympathetic babyface and crawling his way to a win, and then finally winning at a big blow-off match. It is absolute nonsense the way they've structured this feud, even though the matches are good, even though I said I like elements of it. It's just booking 101. And I I told the story when Paige won his first match over Macho, and he was so honored. And the guy is such a, by all accounts, such a nice guy backstage, and he was so honored by the win he gave him. But it sounds like a bit of backstage politicsing to me. Give the the quote-unquote young up-and-comer the first win, and then just take two wins back off him so you keep all your heat. Yeah, It's a really poorly structured feud. Yeah, I agree with Connor. It's it's solid, but the makeup of those matches are really difficult, especially for for TV and pay-per-view, because if you really want to do it properly, they shouldn't be in the ring, but then it's terrible for people watching. They should be wrestling in the back, throwing the kitchen sink at each other, but it just wouldn't work. So, yeah, you get this weird kicky, punchy, lame stuff where eventually they have to act like they're really tired all of a sudden when they normally wrestle matches for that long anyway. Never really gets into third gear or whatever. You can tell they're trying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. They, they put in a good effort. And, and Dave, I don't know if I particularly agree with you. I mean, in the sense that the story that they're trying to tell overall is like 
NWO is like losing momentum and now they're kind of gaining a little bit momentum here. Yeah. Yeah, it, w- it would be nice for DDP if like, oh, we need to build up this baby face, give them the last win. But it's just, I guess, not his time or or, or they want to go with the overall story arc is is my is my feeling. Yeah, and I got that maybe the, the grander scheme thing. It just uh, it seems like a waste. Like we can see even from now through the nitros and the pay-per-views, DDP is super over. It's not like he's actually young. He doesn't have years left to be your main guy, so you should probably be building him up here. But at the same time, I guess you're building up Sting, and you don't want too many faces winning their feuds, so you have a bunch of faces kind of waiting to go for the title at the same time. That's a huge problem with the Sting storyline, and yeah. that, and then, and that's why kind of why we have this main event that we have. It's like, well, what what should we do with our main events? Like, well, we have to wait for Sting. What do we do until then? Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like we can't really build any face up too much because then people are going to ask why or aren't they facing Hogan? And there's an answer to that. We don't we don't want to build that much yet. So from uh, a disappointing <laughs> feud ender <laughs> to uh, to just overall disappointment, we've had a match that was good in any era, a match that would be good in a future era, and a match that uh, has never been good. Rowdy Roddy Piper, Commissioner Rowdy Roddy Piper versus Hollywood Hulk Hogan in a steel cage match. And my oh my, is this steel cage look awful. It looks like the kennel from hell outside cage, right? The cage is uh, (laughs) NWO for life also, since it gets ring music. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I forgot about that. It is just for a company with so much money and paying its stars so much money, the structure is awful. I don't know why it's just not a normal cage. I don't know with how much money they pay buffer. And then you see this rubbery cage. It's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> the minute someone takes their first bump on it, it, do, it one, it looks like it's about to fall over when someone takes their first bump on it. And two, it doesn't look effective at all. Now I know this is at this stage, WWF are still, I guess they've just had hell in a cell. So they're pretty big and maybe they're trying to mimic the hell in a cell very unsuccessfully. But up until recently, WBF were using like the blue steel cages, and even they're better, way, way harsher on their performers, but even they're better than what WCW, I don't know, grabbed at the back of a skip. I'm glad you brought up Buffer, Connor, because I know WCW is great for hyperbole, but my God, his introduction is so over the top <laughs> for this it's match. Hilarious. It's hilarious. It's hilarious. If there's a survivor, they will win. If there's a survivor, what do you think the two of them are going to do to each other? <laughs> yeah, I, I love how like Dusty, he tries to build this up. Or I can't remember if it's brain or not to like, oh, Piper, he's a fighter and blah, blah, blah. Every time we get in the ring, it's a fight. So we're trying to build up this this feud. You know, we've had this nice promo package. Icon for it's going to be this epic match. And then there's there's no way to start it, Dave. You have to take it yeah. away because this is... Well, what I'll take it away with is some extra special WCW versus NWO points for any fan that can tell us any one of the rules in this match. Because <laughs> whatever rule you're thinking about, it's not a rule. The commentary don't know what the rules are. Genuinely, this is not oh. even hyperbolic. The, the commentary don't know the rules. And two or three times, Tony's like, oh, if this happens, it's over. And then it just happens. He's like, oh, yeah. never mind. Yeah. I think it's maybe two, three minutes into the match. And he's like, yeah, they can escape the cage. And if they can escape the cage, the two of them just walk outside. And he's like, oh, uh, <laughs> never mind. Uh. Actually, just walk outside. What he says afterwards is like, oh, they both did it at the same time. So the ref is saying the match is still going. <laughs> well, no, 
very clearly Hogan left the cage first and Piper ran out after him. Also, the ref has made no motion with his hands or face at all. There's no way you could tell that, Tony. There's no referee in the ring at any time, which would make you think there's no pinfall. This match, (laughs) multiple pinfalls are attempted and the ref has to be called into the ring (laughs) in order to make the pinfalls. Right, that's what makes it worse is like the commentary note, hey, there's no no ref. ref. Okay, so... So they they're, they're telling you like, hey, you have to escape, and then then them walking out of the cage happens like a minute later. I was like, what is happening? Okay. This is hurting my soul. They, but they they do genuinely go. Oh, if you'll notice, there's no referees inside inside that cage because there's no rules, no rules whatsoever. But <laughs> five minutes later, <laughs> pin falls and the refs Literally, are inside, yeah. and you're like, okay, uh- <laughs> except these rules. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So we're getting a little out of order. I'll try and put a bit of structure on this absolute abomination of a match. Piper is out second after Hogan comes out solo. No no NWO members. Piper has that title, which makes Hogan's furious. Hogan is running around the ring, shaking the cage when both men are in, trying to escape. This is absolute nonsense. Because a couple seconds later, Hogan just asks the referee to open the door, and the referee does. So referees, Hogan's looking for a way to escape Piper so he can't get the baby face beat down at the start of the match. About five minutes into the match, Hogan shows that it was just he was just able to walk out of that cage whenever he wanted. So why this whole, oh no, I don't want to face Piper, shake the cage, is it stable? Can I get out of it here? Kind of routine is, I don't know. Piper starts the match very cool-headed and he's just like walking down Hogan. I would like to note as well from the shaking of the cage of Hogan, it looks really unstable. Like, but it's a, it's actually quite a big cage and boatman climate. Yeah, and my it's really tall. My heart is in my throat a couple times. I'm like, these guys are old. If they fall, they're dead. <laughs> I know they're not dead because I know when maybe Piper that, died. Maybe that's why Buffer is like, if there is a survivor. Yeah. <laughs> I, I genuinely thought the thing was going to collapse. It, is, it has a lot of give to it. Piper takes his time at the start because Hogan, for some reason, doesn't know he can open the door to start a match. Piper chases Hogan around. Hogan tries to climb out of the massively tall cage, but Piper whips his back with a belt. He then bites Hogan on the ass. I'll say mm-hmm. again. Yeah. He climbs halfway up the cage and bites Hogan's gluteus maximus to get him off the cage, which works. It would work if he did it to me. Scary man. He then bites Hogan on the head and back. It's very weird. There's a lot of ball shots and atomic drops and bagging <laughs> the ass. It's There's always weird offense in the, the, these Hoger-Piper matches. It, it never disappoints. Super kinky. Just Piper's <laughs> just really kinky. It's really weird. As Gus said, the comedy point out, there's no refs. Uh, so there's only escapes, I guess. But then Hogan just walks out of the cage. He just tells the ref, open it. Hogan walks out. And then Piper runs after him and starts beating him up. So as far as we know at this stage in the match, there's no refs in the cage. There's no escaping the cage. There is no way to win the match. Is that what we're supposed to think? Yeah, I'm not sure how to respond to that. Other, other than, uh, did you guys get a load of the all the bro Mark fans in the front row? Jesus Christ, yeah. Really the one, distracting. The one that, guy that was like slightly fit, so he was like flexing every couple seconds. Yeah, there was the other guy. He was like pointing at Piper. He's like laughing. He's like, he's Irish. He's Irish. I don't think he's Irish. Yeah, I'm not no. sure who you're seeing. Not, uh, <laughs> but He's not even Scottish, right? It's like his dad was Scottish or something. 
It's yeah, soft. something like that. Um, they were obviously drunk. It's uh, I'm 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 being a little critical here, but it was just it was very distracting because I'm like I have to look at something else than this this awful match. And so it's hard to escape the bros because they they're kind of lingering around the doorway because they try and hit each other with the cage door a bit to try and uh, replicate the flare spot or the viciousness of the flare spot because that's why Piper's commissioner to get get vengeance for flare, which isn't mentioned in anything else. But this is a nice spot to kind of remind you of that. Yeah, it looks like complete shit. <laughs> <laughs> it really does. Very obvious fake sting uh, stops Hogan from leaving up the ramp. Is that how you escape? Do you just have to escape the arena? Is that how you win this match? <laughs> they have to break free from the confines of the match to save themselves. <laughs> yeah, save their careers. Yeah. And- Again, as I was thinking about this, like, so WCW hired this fake sting to come out? And like point the bat at him? Like, I don't know. And it's also, so weird. I'm going to give you spoilers here, <laughs> listeners. We don't find out who owns the fake stings or why they're there. It's just never really addressed who they're for. Or was it like a double bluff by Hogan? Or it's... Oh. Randy Anderson locks Boatman back in the cage. Why bother? It doesn't matter if they're outside the cage. We've just proven that. Why is it locked again? Because there, there can only After be some, one survivor, Dave. If any. Yeah. I was I was hoping there's no I was hoping <laughs> there's no survivors. After some more beatdowns, boatmen climb the inside of the cage. Of another course fake, they do. Another fake sting appears on the ramp. That's two fake stings. Boatmen climb back down the cage after some uh some back and forth. Why climb at all? Hogan gets busted open around his eyes somewhere. I didn't really see how it happens, but it does look accidental because of the placement. A lot of wide shots after that, yeah. 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 Hogan beats Piper with some uh, with his weight uh, lifter belt. He then tries to leave by climbing again. Why is he climbing? They can just walk out the door. What's he doing? <laughs> what are any of us doing watching this match? Maybe they have to break the barrier of the top of the cage to, uh, I don't know, whatever. Who cares? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like mousetrap. It's going to release. <laughs> <laughs> Dusty says if Hogan escapes, he doesn't know what will happen. <laughs> uh, at least Dusty is on the ball. I'll give him a- Either do we, Dusty. He's done it twice already and no one's cared. So uh, a fake sting stops Hogan from getting all the way down. So Piper cuts him off and gets him back around to the, uh, to the inside of the cage. Okay, more fake stings. Another bunch of stings are coming from everywhere. Sure, there needs to be lots of fake stings. It's better than any of the wrestling in the match, so... Great. After hitting a couple of leg drops and a title shot, Hogan calls the referee into the ring. The ref comes in. Why didn't the referee start in the ring? Why does Hogan know that he can call a referee in and ask the referee to open the door when he was so shocked at the start of the match and didn't know where to escape to? Piper kicks out a two, which means he's a superhero. Hogan hit him with a lot. Macho runs into the ring, and instead of running in to the open door... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he climbs the cage. None of the stings attempt to stop him. No, 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 no. And he jumps from the fucking top of the cage. Yeah. Jesus Christ, Randy <laughs> does not need to do this. <laughs> For an axe handle drop, and that's worse than doing like a crossbody or like any kind of splash move where you're taking like a front bump for it. He's just landing on his feet on this genuinely like super big cage and he just wipes out everyone in the ring. He just wipes out Piper. He's like kicks Hogan by accident. Oh my god! How how did Randy's legs survive that fall? I mean, kidding inside, it's pretty impressive. I mean, it's a dangerous spot. Yeah, like so. didn't yeah. think, didn't think Macho Man was going to be doing that. 
No, but I don't think he was supposed to. You could see he just gets really jazzed up and runs to the top of the cage. I'm like, holy fuck. I mean, he has to figure, like, something has to happen in this yeah. match. Something actually exciting. Because the crowd, we haven't mentioned the crowd. The crowd is dead for most of this match. They are confused. The drunk bros are, are loving it. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> maybe, yeah, maybe Randy's just going into business for himself so that he can look great and <laughs> in comparison. Yeah, yeah. well... We'll, well, uh, we'll talk about a, that in a little bit. Yeah. I think a couple people go into business for themselves. <laughs> Do you think that the crowd is just scared to, you know, applaud or cheer for Hogan? Because the Sting Gestapo is everywhere <laughs> around the fucking audience, just coming out of the woodworks. Oh, Absolute insanity. <laughs> it can it continues. Yeah, you're, you're not <laughs> done yet. Like. <laughs> After this, Piper recovers and locks in the sleeper. Hogan doesn't answer to the call and is eliminated from the match. Winner is Piper, who wins exactly nothing. A fake Sting comes into the ring and tries to help Piper, but is just kind of ignored by everyone. And eventually, he's just, like, thrown out of the ring. Macho seems to be annoyed that he's even doing anything. Macho knows sells a couple punches, throws him into the ring, and Hogan just fucks him out. Was he supposed to be? Did he miss a cue? I've never heard an explanation for why they just ignore this fake Sting, and none of the other fake Stings do anything. I think the guy's a shit. <laughs> yeah. Might genuinely be, but might be, might be for another reason. Uh, Macho and Hogan's handcuff Piper to the cage, I guess to beat him up. But then a fan with some sting face paint on climbs the cage and gets over. The fake sting on the ground pins him down, but then Macho and Hogan pick him up, bring him to the ring and beat him down until the referees bring him out. People insist that this is a real fan. I can tell you with 100% certainty it is not a real fan. I can tell you because there are clips of what a Macho Man or Andy Savage does when real fans hit the ring. And it is not half as gentle as the shoot punches and shoot kicks that Hogan and Macho laid into this guy. So I assume it's them trying to drum up some real bad heel heat for the NWO here. And I think that the fake sting is put in the ring. So he can like pin down the fan to make it look like it's a fan because then one of the good guys are stopping it, right? I definitely think it's it's not a real fan, obviously, because the camera cuts right to yeah, him right they as go he goes. Out of their yeah, way to show it. I'm like, no. Right. They wouldn't do that. Yeah. Even WCW wouldn't do that. Yeah, how they try and set it up is that this fake sting got into the ring or fake stings are hitting the ring. So the camera crew got confused and the fan had sting face paint on, right? So that's what they're trying to do. They're trying to make it seem like all the commentators and cameras got confused and it's a it's a shoot and they thought it was supposed to be a fake sting hitting the ring. One, that doesn't work because only one fake sting hit the ring. It's not like they all hit the ring and he got mixed up in the fight. So it doesn't make any sense. It's just very set up and it's to get heat for the guys. I'm not saying that's bad. It's probably the best thing they could do. A fake fan getting beat up. I saw someone write an article about it. They said they think it's fake like we do. And they think it's really irresponsible for WCW to do. Because you'll actually see in the next couple of years in WCW, a decent amount of fans hit the ring. That's just really dangerous. And they think with this little stunt, they've basically com- promoted fans to do it. Something similar happens in this, in this uh, about this time with Steve Blackman. They haven't beat up a fake fan or something. Or they have him, I think he's supposed to be a fan, hitting the ring and helping one of the wrestlers. I think that's his angle. And again, these angles are kind of cute but they encourage fans to actually jump the guardrails. Definitely a different time. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad we don't have to deal with that yeah. anymore. It, ha- it happened to Brett, I guess, just 
Yeah. Just last year, right? <laughs> oh, this yeah, year. Sure. Yeah. The amount of times it happened for yeah. sure back in the yeah. day. Like even like I was like the 80s, like people used to rush the field at like sport sporting events, things like that. That's and true. That is just do you, no. Do you know who I've seen give the biggest uh beatdowns to fans who run into the ring? Hmm. Triple H savages people who mm. run into the ring I mean, if you ever watch the clips. I think they're all that bad. It's just, there's just more footage of him doing it for whatever reason. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this is definitely a worked spot. And, uh, a fucking terrible way to end a pay-per-view. Yeah, terrible <laughs> way to end a pay-per-view. They don't even do anything with Piper, who's like handcuffed to the cage. I assume he was supposed to take a bit of a beat down, but he takes none. He's just left handcuffed to the cage. They don't do anything with the title, even though... Hogan just won it back. The match had no rules. What do you mean Hogan's won it back? He lost the match. (laughs) I guess gained it back. Gained it back, I guess. They don't celebrate with the title. There's one NWO member in the ring to end it. Why did all the fake stings not hit the ring? Why was that fan so good at climbing? There's so many questions. And it's the worst match in the cast, right? Um, I, I think so. Hmm. I think the Jacqueline Disco Inferno match was genuinely more entertaining than this match and at least had a rules. Like the ending too, like <laughs> it seemed like, like nobody had the call to like, Hey, we should end here. Yeah. It was just like Tony at one point's like, are we going to sign off now? <laughs> and I think like, the producer was like, yeah, I guess so. Here we go. Punch out. Yeah. Two people with creative control calling a cage match without any rules on the fly in the ring. Nothing can go wrong. It's just at this point too, like all this bogus thing crap, like it's it's played out. Like we had probably two weeks before this, nine fake stings come to the ring, and then Sting takes off his mask and it's actually Sting. So we get the the legendary gif. It's awesome. It's an amazing moment. But like now they like they pull it out again, but this one doesn't make sense. That time it was cool because Sting's like, all right, I'm gonna fool them because you're not gonna know which one's me. There's logic to it, but this match, there is no logic to anything. Like at all. I guess they're trying to go, oh, you won't wrestle if Sting shows up, so we're going to fuck with you by having loads of Stings show up to just mess with your head because (laughs) you've spent so much time messing with us, but it's flimsy at best. Like, I'm definitely reaching like here. (laughs) I don't don't know, man. Like, I'm lost for words on this, Matt. Like, it's embarrassing, I think. How can these two guys like go backstage like, yeah, that was a good one. Like, don't worry, boys, we're going to make loads of money. Of, of all the things, out of the Dave Arquettes, out of the Vince Russos, out of the triple cage matches, all this stuff talked about about WCW's demise. This is WCW's, WCW's demise already. Hogan and Piper have already poisoned it well beyond storyline repair, I think, really early into the run. And they don't care. And you can see they don't care. And it's awful. And this match is worse than any of those things I just mentioned. Uh, this is worse than Dave Arquette being your world champion. It's worse than the three cages. No, I disagree. I think by a mm, mile. It, it'll be a fun argument to have next yeah. year because next year, arguably, is like one of the worst matches. Yeah. It's funny. All the really bad Havoc matches, Hogan is involved with yeah. them. So we have the Yente huh. and then we have we have this. Yeah. The Macho Hogan match, I guess, wasn't that embarrassing, but still not great. And then next year's with uh, with Warrior. Oh, it's going to be a fun yep. one to talk about, boys. Yeah, you see, I, I don't think it's... Uh, the reason that it, this isn't talked as much is because... The company's still on the uptick. They're still making more money. The undercard yeah. was so good that it's forgivable. Yes, this doesn't make sense, but the overall plot they're going for does. This is just bad planning, sure. and they just didn't decide what to do. There are lots of like smaller details that 
because we've just recently watched it, we're like, oh my God, this is ridiculous. Like in hindsight, obviously they, they made lots of mistakes, but at the time, everybody's just mad into wrestling and they were willing to accept like, yes, this was terrible, but they're still getting Sting Hogan at Starcade. So yeah. I, I, there's definitely worse stuff than this. I, it, it, it's, it is embarrassing. Like it makes no sense. It's not, it's two old dudes well past their prime at this stage trying to do too much. There's a load of smoke and mirrors to try and help them along and it still doesn't work. I mean, Randy does one of the craziest spots in his career for basically no reason <laughs> to try and save the match in a way. I think for a second you can see in Randy's eye that he's made a mistake. When he gets to the top of that cage, I think everyone involved is like, why the fuck didn't he go through the door, including himself? He just gets so excited. Yeah, yeah well... Yeah, I, we'll see. I'll definitely save my judgment for longer. I don't think in like a year's time when we get to those later pay-per-views that I'm going to look back and go, man, that was really dumb. I'm going to be like, oh my God, they got so much worse. <laughs> yeah, it'll, it'll be interesting to see if if, if, it, if we really get to that. I don't know. I think this will still hold up as really bad because when I first saw, I just felt dirty watching this. Like This felt like... <laughs> This felt like WCW. I, I don't, yeah. you know, you know what I yeah. mean, right? It's like cringy. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. Everything is wrong. No plan. Yeah, no. And like, even we saw these guys fight before, and like, they're they're bad matches, but at least the crowd was into it. So you could say like, all right, I can justify this. The crowd wants this match to happen. You know, the Starcade match, like it was bad, but like the crowd was like eating the hell it up. Like this match. Nobody this cared. is the Nobody this is the ammunition on. for those friends you have who are like, man, I can't believe you watch yeah. wrestling. Like, what? It's so bad. And you're like, no, it's not. And you're like, and then you show this, and you're like, okay, that doesn't count. All right, <laughs> like it's just <laughs> well, it's just ammunition for guys like Eddie Guerrero when he you know when he's throwing water at his you know on himself. Like this is like I had the best match like in the company, yeah. and like this is meanwhile this is what, this the, main is what the main event is. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's that, it's that continuous loop. I have the best match uh, in the company, and this is what happens to me. Yeah, brother, but you're not over. Yeah, but I can't get over more over than I am unless you put me in bigger title shots. I can't, brother, you're not over. What? Then how do I get, o- then how do I get over? <laughs> yeah, the old CM Punk, uh, Vince McMahon conversation. Yeah. Like, well, you had the best match on the card. Like, well, I didn't get paid for it. I wasn't in the main event. Yeah, yeah. but you had the best match. It's like, uh, uh-huh. <laughs> okay, thanks, Vince. Yeah, that's the exact same thing. And it, it is a shame. And I think this match smells of politicking as well, where it's like, this can't be as bad and nonsensical unless multiple people didn't care or multiple people were like fighting over what finishes and stuff should happen. And that's, that's I think, almost worse because this could be fine. Like these guys, they're yeah. past it, but they're not that bad. They can have a fine brawl and they hate each other. And the crowd hates Hogan. This could have easily been a fine possible cage match with a sting involved ending and everyone goes home that. like it doesn't even need to be like the main event we could just save our tag team match title change for the main event here but, now i'm but, sure like i'm sure they didn't like couldn't do it because maybe six's injury blah 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 whatever but like they've you don't have to have this as the main event either let's talk about that a bit more at the end of each episode i usually ask whose side are you on i'm going to ask a little different question before you answer that what should have this main event been? Because I think we can all agree as a holdover main event, this wasn't it. This, this shouldn't have been booked as it was. I'll start with you, Connor. What should have this main event been? I'm just going to go with Ray Eddy <laughs> as for selfish reasons. <laughs> I mean, I, obviously they probably didn't know this was that was going to be that great of a match, but they put so much into that feud that I think they could have been. Or they could have just went with Macho and DDP. Yeah. Uh, probably a more realistic answer. I would probably just say that one. 
Okay, Gus, what what main event would have you you booked? Of of the stuff that's on the actual pay per view, then yeah, I, DDP and Macho is probably the next best thing. I don't, like I'm trying to think of who's in the company that could have. You have to lengthen Hogan to get to Sting, but he has to do something. So they probably should have just protected him in some form of like six man tag or something like that. I, I was going to say exactly this. We should go super Japanese or Mexican wrestling and just have three NWO, two NWO plebs and Hogan versus Piper and his choice of two WCW guys. Piper and the Steiners. But the problem is, is that like they've already done that yeah. several times now. Like, granted, Hogan hasn't been in those matches, but it's happened a lot. So it's a bit stale in that sense. So yeah. That's fair. I think there's enough other good matches on this card that like a bit of a throwaway main event of protecting Hogan in some kind of tag team situation would be fine. We only have to get to the next pay-per-view, right? Because next pay-per-view is World, World War Three, And then you get to uh, you get to protect him by he's just doesn't need to be in a match, right? Or he like interfere. He might interfere in the, in the battle royale or he might just watch on and like decide like laugh at people who aren't getting a title or maybe he'll enter to try and protect his spot yeah (laughs) infinite things you can do once you get to the next pay-per-view so you just have to protect them for one and instead you made both men coming out tarnish their their legacies it's just that bad i wouldn't have even minded seeing like maybe you make the u.s title the way hennig is defending and it feels like the intercontinental title it could even be hennig flair in a longer match for the main event yeah that that would be fine as well, I think. And then, yeah, I th- it would probably work, but since Flair came off a of surgery, but that's probably yeah, maybe probably it's asking a bit too much. Happen. The Steiners aren't on the card. Easily could have been Steiners managed by Piper against two plebs managed that's, by Hogan. That's not going to be a main event. It's not. It's not going to fly. Like you have yeah. to remember, like they're paying Hogan a lot of money. He does have to show up from time to time. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yep. I also wouldn't have minded just attaching these people to the. Scott Hall Luger match and have that as your main event since Zabisco's storyline is like one of the main one in the Nitros at the moment. That's actually yeah, yeah that's actually a good point because the Luger would still be kind of connected to Hogan and yep. yeah, I actually yeah. like that yep. a lot. That would be much better. We can all agree there's much better options in the company in this match. Just shouldn't have shouldn't have happened in any form. But at the end of the paper, we will go back to the classic question, Connor. Whose side are you on? I'm gonna have to be on Ray's side. I'm probably <laughs> always going to be... <laughs> oh, sorry. It's okay. no, no, my answer but, still works. Don't worry. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Because yeah, yeah, I'm always going to have to be on Ray's side. He's he always going to hold a special place in my heart. you got to go watch this match. It's it's, it's really good. I'm probably going to watch it again at some point. Yeah, I have to, I have to be on a, a WCW wrestler side. Can't be with the NWO. They've been just piss poor. And show overall, bit of a mixed bag. The first half, like it's... Wow, what a great pay per view! And then the, the the last half of it, wow, what an embarrassing pay per view! Almost to like not so lo- sold out level bad, but the main event it kind of got there. How about you, Gus? Whose side do you want after this pay per view? I'm going with the World Order, but it's it's one that doesn't exist yet. It's a the Latino World Order because it's <laughs> much like Connor, I'm I'm full on with Eddie here. Okay, probably the best Eddie match you'll see. And man, yeah, it's so good. And yeah, you can't really go for the general WCW or NWO because it's just so badly put together like that who's meant to look good at the end of that pay-per-view outside of those two guys like nobody really there's Goldberg Eddie Ray and I think everybody else looks worse 
after that pay-per-view. But it, it's a total holdover pay-per-view. Nothing is really going anywhere. Everybody's kind of waiting for Starcade, and they've just they've dragged it out just that little bit too long and they haven't planned it right. So yeah. hopefully things improve. Yep. I mean, next month will be fine because it's a stupid gimmick match and I'm sure it'll be terrible, but it's at least entertaining to watch. Well, can't wait to try and break one of them down again. As for me, oh, I guess I'm still WCW. As you guys said, technically Ray and Eddie are WCW anywhere that takes me furthest away from this main event. I'm, I'm looking forward to get past this. The next card doesn't look so bad and has some of my favorites on it, but uh, mostly I just want to take a shower and watch that main event all off me. <laughs> That's us for another edition of the WCW versus NWO podcast. Follow us on social media where you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook under the handle WCW versus NWO podcast. Connor, where else can they find us? Well, you can find us on SoundCloud or any kind of uh, podcast app where you can grab that sweet, delicious RSS feed. But you can also check out uh, our videos. We do video exclusives from time to time on Vimeo. And that's just at the handle WCW versus NWO podcast. And we're going to have a new special video coming out soon. A uh, big shout out to uh, Dylan, who uh, contacted us about editing a, a video for us. And hopefully in the near future, we'll have our Bash at the Beach 1996. Uh, Dylan edited together the main event for us. So. I'm hoping to get that out very soon. So stay tuned for our Batch of the Beach 1996 review. And it was actually kind of fun to go back and listen to our uh, our, our shiny old selves uh, review at the beginning. I was so much more <laughs> We were positive. so happy. Yeah, and So hopeful. Yeah. <laughs> Boy, we, we call matches differently back then. But uh, it was a lot of fun going back. And uh, yeah, it's, can't wait for to get that out. Uh, I think everybody's going to enjoy that. So stay tuned. Yeah, thanks so much, Dylan. And for me, Connor and Gus... Thanks for listening and join us next time when a flock takes flight. Mm-hmm.